0: Okay, so this is the week in doubt, and this is a special interview episode. And today I have my old friend and fellow podcaster C Web, aka Chris Webber. Well, maybe C Web's the aka, but uh, for, for, You were <laughs> C Web's not your Christian name. No. Um, you were formerly the host of C Web Sunday School, and you want to branch out and not be pigeonholed by being confined to the topic of atheism. And so you started Paranormal Skeptic Academy, which is an excellent podcast in which you pretty much apply reason and scientific thinking, critical thinking to ghost hunting shows and cases of cryptozoology and things like that. Um, And uh, I wonder if before we start, I just wanted to quickly say... uh, Thanks to Ian Lassell for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. I hope I didn't butcher his last name. Thanks, habit. Ian. I- yeah, there you go. Double <laughs> thanks. And then also, I want to thank Frederick. I think it's La Chapelle. La, mm, La go with
1: it. Just go with it. First pronunciation, go with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like Dave Chappelle, but French, like Frederick La Chapelle. For uh, becoming a Patreon supporter and uh, pledging three bucks a month,
1: those are the ones we want—the Patreons.
0: A, the Patreons, man, give me the facts. They get stuff.
1: extra special love. So, any listeners out there to the Weekend Doubt, if you want some extra special love, become a patron for my good friend Phil because you know he's been working hard at this podcast for a long time. I think I first reached out to you. God, it was probably.
0: 2012 or yeah,
1: three years ago almost. God damn man, it's a long time ago. But if, and you had you are probably up to fifty episodes at that time. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, if my math my math's not that good, but I don't know what episode you're on now. Like,
0: oh jeez, so, I'm on like 160 now. Yeah,
1: so that's, that's that's probably about right, about fifty.
0: I feel accomplished and depressed at the same time. There's just something I think innately about the passage of time. That you know, it, so I think the older you get, the quicker time goes by, and when you realize just how much time has gotten by you, it, there's always something that makes you feel a little crestfallen. Or, yeah, that's why I hate yeah. those
1: damn Facebook uh timeline. Oh, updates. the reminders, yeah, I hate those because, like, I'm like, uh, the, the old saying they say, you know, the days drag, but the years fly, you know, when oh, you're in
0: exactly, the exactly, man, exactly yeah,
1: when you're in the middle of something and you're just like
0: you're like, man,
1: is this day ever going to end? It's been a long week at work. This, that, and the other. But then you get that Facebook pop up, and you're like, oh, three years ago I was doing that. It's like, that was three
0: years ago? You're like, that was just, like you felt like it was just yesterday you had yeah, like some of an barbecue eye. or something like that, and all of a sudden it was like three years ago.
1: And you can get depressed. You're like, oh, that was three years ago. And you're like, oh, I want to be at the barbecue again instead of, you know, in the, of the work week. And So it's, damn you, Facebook, for bringing that up.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I think everyone knows that I kind of have two jobs. You know, I went to, school for graphic design and I do a little bit of freelance design. but you know, I- I'm just I- I'm super neurotic in a way where I hold myself back from trying as much as I should do in certain areas of my life. So I'm still working for the family uh, construction or remodeling business, mm-hmm. um, even though I have this graphic design degree. And uh, I've been trying to push myself into doing design more. And I actually, right before I called you all day, I've been working on my portfolio site. I finally got it uh, back up today. And I'm not kidding. I think it literally took me longer to launch the site than it did to revamp it, like the creative side of it. Right. Because you have to go, I had to log into GoDaddy. You know, it's like you got three different logins. You got yep. your regular login, you got like your cPanel login, then you got like like a third FTP login. Mm-hmm. And, and And it's like GoDaddy is always changing. It's structure i think they used to have a their own kind of a ftp client that was part of the package now they offer you like these ones that have been kicking around for years like cyberduck or whatever it is yeah so it took me literally longer to figure out how to lo- upload the website than it did to make the creative changes But I finally got that up and running. But anyway, the reason why I'm talking about all this stuff, because we're talking about the passage of time, (laughs) which is scary, because I designed one, my my first business card I designed for myself while I was still a student is 2008, and sometimes I feel like I graduated just like a few years ago, and all of a sudden I see the back of that damn business card, it's like, 2008? I'm like, what happened? But it's so like all week we've been renovating a house in Winchester, Massachusetts. Had the gut the inside of it. And uh, I almost feel like, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan, when he had to push that, uh, that,
1: <laughs> that wheel, wheel,
0: that, that yeah. ground the grain or whatever, and everyone's dying and dropping dead and he's still pushing it. I had to carry like 80 pound sacks of like uh, plaster dust and and debris probably literally almost a hundred sacks back and forth to like the dumpster. It was in like the eighties and nineties, humid dust caking the inside of my nostrils, even with a mask on my hair feels like it's completely caked. You know, it doesn't even feel like human hair anymore. And I'm like, why the hell am I still doing this? (laughs) And then like, I'm like every, every hour seems to go by like half a day or something, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, but at, at the same time here, it seems like another week went by like an hour Yeah. and I'm another week closer to death and stuck in the same job.
1: <laughs> now, do you think that's like a, an evolutionary uh, adaptation? Because it, it's almost like it, it's, it's needed for our mental survival because it, if you relived every second, uh, as if it was a second, we probably wouldn't get anything accomplished.
0: That's probably true. I think that's a really fascinating subject, the uh, perception of time. And uh, it's very tempting to want to go off in some kind of quantum physics, <laughs> you, you know, uh, route with it, where is is everyone's perception of time the same? Is Are there these other forces at work th- that affect uh, our perception of time? But that's a really good po- I think there probably is a survival mechanism aspect because if you were really aware of every proverbial grain of sand falling through the hourglass, you'd probably go nuts. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah. Cause I think like almost as when you're saying like everyone's perception of time is different and to a degree, and now I'm no expert on this. I don't have any education or, or research in, into this, but just based on my own intuition here, which is inherently flawed. Um I think everyone does have their own perception of time because y- you experience the reality that you think is reality differently from everyone else. The only reason mm-hmm. why we know um, that other people exist is because of theory of mind. Because we we experience cool. something so we can we can project it on the other people that they also experience things. So, so in a sense, I think everyone's experience of time is different different based on perception but the overall I think general passage of time I think it moves at a consistent rate or at a consistent rate where where we won't notice any small changes and of course there's some some changes in time as the universe expands and all that stuff on the quantum level even to a degree that you know everything's influenced to a certain degree by something but I think on on our level on our level of perception I think we all do experience time at a different rate
0: I I think you're um, exactly right about that Because if you have a little kid that's looking forward to getting uh, a toy at the end of the day and he's sitting in school and I can go back to remember like when I was a little kid and stuck in math class and waiting to get out because I knew I was going to get this new like transformer or whatever. Right. And time creeps by incredibly slowly or even if you're an adult and you're not particularly enjoying your your work on a given day, time creeps by incredibly slowly. Well, there could be someone else who's on the beach or who, I don't know, is at the playboy mansion or something, or whatever it is. And time is just flying by for them or maybe they're on vacation or something. So time is probably still, there's probably still set principles at work, right? It's just the individual, the mental perception of it. And I can't believe we're talking about this stuff, but this is actually one of my favorite topics. Maybe a kind of perplexing and uh, frustrating one too, but... I'm kind of a common sense philosopher, you know, I'm a a natural philosopher or a person who's naturally philosophical mm-hmm. and I can I have passing knowledge, academic knowledge of the various philo- uh, philosophers throughout the ages from the pre-Socratics all the way to the enlightenment philosophers and stuff. But mostly I just go on what seems right to me where my reason leads me what seems like common sense. And when I think about time, and this is this might be naive, but I've always wondered to myself, is time really a thing unto itself? I know the mm. experts say it is, but my common sense intuition about time is it's a human concept that we use to measure... Physical, biological uh, phenomena like growth, decay that we use to... that we use to kind of measure the rates of natural processes or like whether it be how many revolutions um, around the sun, the earth goes a year, or uh, like I said, um, growth, decay, things like that. Uh But if you listen to someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson or actual uh, physicists, they will tell you that time is indeed an actual thing unto itself in fact it's kind of one with uh space it, you right space time is an actual thing a phenomenon unto itself and that's so hard to wrap my head around because to me time seems like an abstract notion that we would create to kind of measure our mortal lives and the phenomena that we see in the natural world and the but uh, what the hell is time? You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that, that's, that's a very complicated and detailed question because you say, what is time? But we're, we're living in time. You know, time is a part of the very fabric of our being from who we are to the universe. Um, and and it, you could assume that time wouldn't exist without the universe. Right. right. And so we're, we're a part of it. And uh, do you ever see him use that example where it's like you know, like you uh, time is like a fourth dimension and then when we look out at the universe, we see a flat paper. And then if we – and we're an ant walking around and all we see is this flat paper. But if we we're up above it and looking oh. down, we would see all of it. We would see the fourth dimension. We, we But when they, even when they explain it like that, my puny mind just goes – I don't, I don't get it. You're, you're, you're probably right, Mister Science Man, but <laughs> I, it's so hard for
0: me to fathom. I wonder if it comes from the fact that I think a, a lot of um, the the kind of advanced equation and mathematics that they crunch in in order to do astrophysics, it, it seems to imply or it's necessary to assume that time is an actual thing in order to make the math uh, work or that seems to be what the math is implying in that space-time is an actual thing. But, But you're right, it's very hard to wrap your mind around And uh, I forget who it was. Maybe uh, I just started listening to an atheist. It's been around forever, but it's weird because, you know, I came to uh, my atheistic worldview on my own. I didn't drink anyone else's Kool-Aid. Right. And uh, so I'm still a little naive in certain regards, and I'm still uh, becoming familiar with some of these big-name atheists who've been kicking around forever. Like, I, I only discovered Dan Barker. Like mm. last year, I remember you talking about him before that. Yep. And I just started watching debates with David Silverman. Uh, yeah. From uh, American exactly. Atheist. Exactly. I almost said freedom from religion, but that's, that's Annie Dan Taylor uh, Gaylor, is it? And uh, Dan An- Barker. Oh, what's yeah. her name? I forget her name. Annie something.
1: Annie, L- Annie, Annie Laurie-, Laurie Gaylor?
0: Annie Laurie Gaylor. That's I think it. That's yeah. It. And I think they're husband and wife, right? Yeah. Yeah, they are. I don't know if you've ever seen it on YouTube, but I don't know if it was the first time they met, but there's uh, an old Oprah uh, interview from the 80s where they're doing like this panel discussion and they have Annie and her mother up on the stage and Dan Barker, skinny as can be with a full head of hair. <laughs> and it was actually before they were married and the way they were talking, I don't even know if, if they knew each other well before that, but it's amazing. But as you can uh, imagine, um, Oprah was very kind of passive aggressive, if not just plain old aggressive towards them in their atheist worldview, as was most of the uh, audience And, uh, you know, it's almost like they're looking at the atheists, like they're these complete weirdos or cultists or something like that. Right. I think this was back in the 80s. But if you haven't seen that, you should look for it on YouTube. It's pretty uh, trippy. But I think David David Silverman said something I never heard about before, where he suggested that the universe may not even have had a beginning. So we don't have to worry about dealing with how it came into being or whether or not God was the banger of the Big Bang. Um, and I don't want to kind of you know slander him if I'm wrong, but I do remember a skeptic or an atheist, a big name, I was watching on YouTube recently, yeah. posited that. And that's kind of nutty. I don't know if he's being intellectually honest or he's just going to extremes so he doesn't have to deal with the problem of where did everything uh, come from but i, I oh, think i think i think that the, the theists and atheists
1: uh, alike have to deal with that infinite that regress, issue right? yeah the infinite regress as well i uh based on my you know my limited knowledge of what how the universe came to be um it started somewhere uh and it had to start somewhere mm-hmm. now it could be one of many starts uh not not that this one starts collapse i know that was a, a theory posited uh well, a while ago that you know, the universe would expand and it would contract and it would expand and contract again but now the evidence shows big that the crunch yeah the big <laughs> crunch that was constantly expanding now we could be one of many bangs in an infinite number of bangs um but i think the universe that we currently reside in had a beginning whether that beginning was god or it was just a chain of events of, of an infinite number of, of events is, you know, that's the, the debate, quote-unquote debate that's going on. But I don't think that our universe always existed in, in the one that we live in. Yeah, I that think
0: seems it, even harder to wrap your mind around than the Big Bang. Um, and I think mainstream science points to uh, the Big Bang and that the universe had a beginning.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty – I mean, I hate to mainstream. say settled. Yeah, I hate to say settled, but – That's the prevailing theory on based
0: on expansion, the ongoing expansion of the universe.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's kind of a French theory. I mean, I think in the research I've did, you know, I I kind of moved on from the atheistic side of things. I'm still kind of involved in the community in in some of the 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 aspects of it, but I'm I'm more focused in the paranormal. But from what I, I remember doing some research into it, is that the The idea of the Big Bang is not very old. The theory of it is not very old. Um, and by old, I mean it's maybe 60, 70, <laughs> 80 years old.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it was meant to be um, kind of pejorative at first, wasn't it, by the person who coined it, that they themselves weren't an inher- adherent of the uh, the idea, but it turned yeah, out... Yeah, I thought this,
1: it was like a, uh, a
0: religious person... A priest or somebody maybe if I'm getting my facts I maybe be getting two stories mixed up but I think they might have been a, that could be possible, but they may have been a scientist too I think i i, I distinctly remember talking about this and went on to see web Sunday school podcast
1: so if any ambitious listener wants to go back and listen to all of them and you should because they're great and they're awesome you know I do the most <laughs> fantastic actually, yeah. I do the most fantastic podcasts out there I, I do them the best that's what I do that's my Donald Trump impression. <laughs>
0: My podcast
1: the, is huge. My podcast is huge. It's beautiful. It's just gorgeous. Everything's wrapped in gold. That's what I do. It's Fred huge. Hoyle.
0: Fred Hoyle. That's who uh, coined it. Um, he's still alive. Oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he died in 2001, aged 86. Uh, Fields, astronomy. Well, yeah, he was. He said Big Bang critic. Sir Fred Hoyle, astronomer yeah. noted primarily for the theory of stellar Nucleosynthesis, which is actually what I um, uh, st- focused on in? as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in between uh, in college, rags <laughs> in uh, graphic design. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but this is funny. Uh, I like the way that you brought up um, how you kind of moved away from uh, just the, the, the topic of atheism because... And in this fight, I remember the last time I talked to you, I was telling you how a person who who left an a honest, maybe somewhat negative iTunes review of my show, who goes by the handle Speedwalker Five, <laughs> mm-hmm. said that. Uh, I, monopol- I monopolize the conversation too much when I'm doing interviews. And remember last time I was kind of half-joking saying how I prepared questions
1: yeah. beforehand. Well, I see, see, I don't think of our conversations as interviews because we, we've spoken with each other so many times. It's almost just like conversations. It's just you like know? friends talking. Yeah. Yeah, two brilliant minds getting together and trying to solve the world's <laughs> problems. I, mean, but I had this do. like
0: picture of myself just now. like I'm on my deathbed decades from now, and I'm like, Speedwalker 5, Speedwalker. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Speedwalker. <laughs> it's like that episode of uh, Seinfeld with, uh, was it Bosco? Where I don't know if you were a big Seinfeld fan. I, I never got into it. I was a big Kirby enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> that was an awesome show, too. But I think George Costanza was like sitting vigil at at the de- at the deathbed of this old woman who is she was the mother of one of the big characters uh peterman on the show and uh her last word her dying word was bosco which was like they're trying to find out what it was if it had some deep meaning it turns out it was just the name of some like chocolate drink <laughs> kind of like like quick or ovaltine or something like, who's this Speedwalker? I don't know, he brings it up every time. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well it's like it haunts me. It's like it's probably like two or three years later, and I still remember this random uh handle from iTunes yeah. because they criticized me. It haunts <laughs> me. I wonder if Speedwalker Five's still listening.
1: I don't know. know. it hopes they so. if they do, I don't know if it's a he or she if they do, if they just know the impact they have had on your life.
0: I know that and uh <laughs> I think I told you before how I felt bad because on the air, I might have uh, stepped on their feelings because in that same interview, interview, yeah, in that same review, they also said that they continue to listen to me despite the negative aspects uh. because I remind them of a deceased boyfriend. Hello, And I I joked on the air, well, you know, it's pre-recorded, about how I got that feeling, like they say you just felt like someone just walked over your grave. Like, it was kind of weird. At at the moment when I read it, like being compared to a dead, being told you sound like a dead person. But in retrospect, the... uh, the more distance there is the 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 worse i feel about it i'm like she probably misses this person maybe she gets some comfort that there's someone who has a mm. voice similar to that person and there i was kind of engaging in gallows humor but what do you got to do no man you, you, it is what it is you know when it comes down to it you're doing a
1: show we we do podcasting because we want to do it you mm. know obviously it's not lucrative no <laughs> We're not going to make a living. We're not going to quit our day jobs. No. Uh, uh, once that flame is gone, the the, the podcast is done. And that kind of is the reason why I stopped the C-Web Sunday School because the flame was gone. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. I, I said all I needed to say about that topic. Mm-hmm. I was comfortable in my own beliefs to where I reached a point where I was like, I'm good. I I If I learn more, that's fine. But I'm not thirsting for it anymore. Um, I want to move on to something new. And the paranormal just opened up a whole other world out there. Mm-hmm. And, and it, 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 my skills translated perfectly into the paranormal, and I think even better into the paranormal. Um, because being a skeptic, you know, it, it, being a skeptic doesn't mean just dismissing everything out of hand. Being a skeptic is f- letting the evidence speak for itself and following where the evidence leads. And everybody in the paranormal community, has their own idea of what they think evidence is for their little pet theory, and no matter how many shows I watch, no matter how many shows I review, there's always something new to research and learn. Um, take for example uh, the 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 Jesus mask episode oh, I yeah. did recently. Yeah, and even though it's not necessarily a paranormal um, uh, topic, it's still a skeptical topic. And I feel with Paranormal Skeptic Academy, I, I can do more and have a, a bigger pool of stuff to pull from to create content. And and I didn't have that with CYS on Sunday School. I was too pigeonholed.
0: And that's – I really wanted to talk to you about that because I caught myself – Actually, I noticed I was thinking about you, not in a sexual way. Yeah, hey, either (laughs) way, what do you mean? Uh, I uh, I was thinking about you, and also my other, uh, you know, fellow podcasters and stuff—the the the ones that we're all friendly with—and I was thinking how I don't even think of you as an atheist anymore. I think about you as. A skeptic, and I think you and I, and actually most high-profile atheists, don't, you know, have issues with the word atheist or the label atheist Mm -hmm. because it's demonized, it's loaded, people often misunderstand it. The first misconception people have is that it means you think you know with 100% certainty that there is no God, but it's more like... You're just going where your reason and the evidence seems to lead and you're doubtful. and it's like your atheism can fluctuate. Like I even heard um I'm trying to think of that big Victor Stenger say in a debate that he's agnostic when it comes to the deist God, when it comes to some vague notion of a higher right. power. But when you want to get into the Christian God, the more precise you start getting, the more atheistic. You know, you are because then you're dealing with something that you can see is plainly man-made. Um, but, yeah, I noticed uh, I stopped thinking about you. I, I, I don't think of you as an atheist podcaster. I think of you as a, a skeptic. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's funny because I think the word skeptic can s- sometimes have a negative connotation, too, but nowhere near as bad or as uh, stigmatized as atheist um well yeah i can i can i can attest that uh, very
1: uh personally because um when i was doing cweb sunday school podcast i didn't talk about it with my wife because of the content Mm -hmm. um and she knew i did it uh she didn't she didn't know the extent to the of of the content because she never listened to it but as soon as i switched over to the, the paranormal podcast um i we talk about it all the time you know I, I tell her about my future plans for it the, the the stuff that i'm doing to promote it uh the content of it uh everything uh and, and you're right you, you, being being labeled it's sad being labeled as an atheist it, it it's it's still a dirty word absolutely uh, being a skeptic uh you know you kind of have to prequalify it by it. i'm not you're like a you're a party
0: pooper but you're not a all out right i'm not i'm not like monster. i'm not insane i don't <laughs> think
1: 911 was you know thermite paint, as Jesse Ventura would say, but,
0: you, you know... know you, like, people who believe in ghosts might think, like, oh, you just, you know, you want to pee on everyone's parade or whatever. Boo, you're being mean, boo-hoo. You know, but you're not this godless monster right. that, you know, people... these people who have absol- who have an absolutely volatile, visceral reaction to the, even the word atheist, you know? Um, well, I
1: also think, too, like... Um, I, I I mused on it in, in a recent episode. Uh it may have been the um Jesus Mask episode, but you know, you build a reputation as a skeptic, right? You may be like, oh, okay, here comes Chris again. He's gonna say something about this not being real or that not being true, or the studies show this, or the science says this. But when push comes to shove, if someone has a question about something that they don't quite feel right, nine times out of the out of 10, I'm the person they come to. My wife, uh, she has a, a neurological disorder that she has to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And oh, wow. there, and when you deal with any kind of disease, right, there's mm-hmm. all kind of quack
0: treatments out there. Homothe- H- uh, homeo- homo- ther- <laughs> <laughs> homotherapy, that's what the Republicans yeah. uh, want. <laughs> Um, <laughs> homeopathy. Homeopathy. Ho- oh, what the hell is wrong with me? Uh, hey, it's all right. Uh, What's the uh, one with the water where they put? Uh, that's like homeopathy. A, Yeah, it's homeopathy. Where they put like an. Ex- it's almost like the idea of immunotherapy. Like I just stopped getting allergy shots, where they inject you with what you're allergic to, except they do it in water, and it's such small parts. Well, yeah, or whatever. It's... There's no way it could be doing anything scientifically.
1: Yeah, it's homeopathy, mm-hmm. and and what it, what the homeopathy is is they dilute whatever uh, component or compound that creates an effect to a point where it's indistinguishable between water and its original um, compound. Right. So the 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 analysis or the the metaphor I always hear is like it's like dropping an aspirin into the ocean. <laughs> right. Not you much know, is it, gonna happen. Nothing's gonna happen unless it's like a random hermit crab that but, the aspirin. But, yeah, lands I on mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, but but situations like that—they're they're just widespread with um, quack treatments. You know, naturopathy. Take this herb, do this—you know, essential oil, this, that, and the other. And every time something comes up that says, in her group, uh, she has a Facebook group, she's a part of this. Oh, I use this, 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 and it, and it, it cured me of this, this. She says, you know, w- w- what do you think of this? Is or do you think this is true? Because she knows that I'll give it an honest look. I'll look at the evidence and I'll look at the science behind it. Uh, you know, I go to PubMed. I do I do uh, research papers, uh, searches on it. And I'll read what the best science says and interpret it as best as I can. But she still trusts me because I built that reputation of Chris is going to give it a skeptical look. And he's going to tell yeah. me that it's
0: bullshit or that it's will work. Yeah, which is better than telling someone oh yeah, maybe this will work, take it, you know, and uh, and what if it does nothing and in that time the person could have been taking an actual beneficial uh, remedy or, or medication or something or what if even worse, it, it's some kind of natural thing that has adverse side effects or something like that or it's contraindicated, you know. Well, yeah, even when you go to a doctor's
1: appointment, they got to say, what, medication or supplements are you taking because if you're taking ginger roots
0: or um, ginseng ginkgo ginseng. biloba whatever it is yeah
1: even though you know it's it's uh, it's a natural I quote unquote natural herb it still has maybe has some medical properties to it and it could interfere with the actual mm-hmm. medicine you take so they have to know because it could create side effects and so with, with her and going back to what I was saying is you you build a reputation no matter how annoying you are Mm -hmm. Um, if you, if you're, if you're consistent and cognizant of your reputation, people will end up respecting it.
0: I think that's true. It's like with the amazing Randy, like people who like to believe in weird things might resent him for trying to pop the bubble of their suspension of disbelief. But if they want to know if something was true or not, he'd be the kind of guy you want to go to. And I was thinking like another reason why skeptics, why the the term skeptic might not be as loaded as the label atheist might be that even though there's a lot of overlap, technically speaking, Mm. you could be a religious person and be a skeptic. You would have to compartmentalize to some degree, but let's say like a priest who. Investigates exorcisms or cases of demonic possession, rather, for the Vatican or something. And right. he has this mindset that actual possession is very rare. And he's going to assume that there's some kind of worldly or medical explanation, some kind of uh, psychopathology or, or some kind of neurological thing going on. He might have to compartmentalize, and he believes in these strange supernatural things in certain areas, but he might be a practicing skeptic when he investigates those cases. Or I imagine you could have, say, a Christian that thinks it's wrong to mess around with the occult or something like that, so he debunks the occult or or something like that, you know what I mean?
1: Well, I think um, skepticism crosses boundaries, right? -hmm. You know, atheism is pretty cut and dry. You don't Don't believe believe in a higher power, in a higher power, right? There's there's no gray area. But I think skepticism it does cross um, boundaries, and and in the paranormal community, you see that a lot. There there are skeptics who are atheists. There are skeptics who are Christians. There are skeptics who are Wiccans. Uh, It it runs the gamut. (laughs) Well, it yeah. Well, it it, but it's true, Um, Mm -hmm. especially with the paranormal. You 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 can have uh, atheists who believe in the paranormal, right?
0: That's actually true too. Like some of the stuff, uh, Sam Harris doesn't speak a lot about it. But we've all of us atheists who are Sam Harris fans have probably heard him mention in passing um, how he sounds like he puts a certain amount of credulity in certain paranormal phenomena like uh, telekinesis or whatever the heck it is, remote viewing or something like that. But
1: Well, I mean, yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. If there's a scientific mechanism behind it, um, that's the thing I like to point out in my shows because uh, the one thing about ghost hunters in particular is that they automatically assume what they know about ghosts is true. So they assume... Uh, you know, they're, they're this energy, right? And then when <laughs> you die, your energy gets released. And, Whatever that is, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So, so they automatically assume that's true. So when they use their EMF meter and they detect an EMF in an area, they assume it's a ghost. But they never established why a ghost would leave energy trails or why a ghost would suck the energy from your battery of your camera. They, they, they never established that. And that's what I try to point out is, you you can't assume things unless you establish, you know, the the proceeding before it. But they, that's what they do. They go into it with an automatic assumption.
0: Confirmation bias, man. You can't be doing that.
1: No, oh, confirmation bias is is rampant in p- the paranormal. Um, it, it's so once you know what you're looking for, it's so obvious to spot. It's it's almost not it's almost not fun because <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs>
0: Now is the the are uh, the EVP's a big uh example of that the electronic voice uh phenomenon. Yeah, you know, where they kind of uh what's the word? They kind of precondition you. They 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 usually tell you what you're going to hear before they play the tape. Then you have this kind of audio paradolia thing going on, you know what I mean? That's exactly what it is because
1: um it is pareidolia. We're pattern seeking creatures. And we try to make patterns out of nothing. Um, and EVPs are, are no exception to that rule because it's random noise that your brain tries to make sense of. And if you're already preconditioned to look or hear something, um, you're going to hear something. And it's just by by coincidence that what they hear is what they were looking for. You know, How do yeah. they know that this was a female voice who was telling you to get out after you were challenging them to something? Because that's what you expected to hear, and then that's what you heard.
0: I think I was listening to your show not long ago, and, and uh, I usually kind of binge listen to your show. If <laughs> I, you know, if I miss if for some, you know, if sometimes you fall out of the habit with certain podcasts, and you want to catch up. So I might listen to like three episodes of yours at the, the same time to make sure I get all caught up. So I'm not sure which one it was. But this family moved into... It's basically like the same story every time. This family (laughs) moved into a house and they think they're not alone. They thought there were little kids, the ghosts of kids in the house with them. And the ghost hunter said it sounded like they were saying they don't want us or something like that. Mm -hmm. I forget which episode that
1: was. That was the most recent one with the ghost hunters, the pilot episode of Ghost Hunters.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Because you did the kind of history... Yep. of uh Ghost Hunters I think you talked about how as the show went on it kind of became more and more mm-hmm. sensational and when it mm-hmm. started out they were actually more kind of <laughs> measured in their yeah. approach skeptical to it skeptical yeah. using that term lightly.
1: Well yeah cuz um they said in that episode in particular can you hear me okay still? Yeah, fine. Okay. It was it, it, that episode in particular um they were saying, you know, you know they don't want us and the setup to that was this was an older house, um, and, and they had these air ducts in the wall. Um, they're probably about a f you know, a six by six hole in the wall where it would pump the air through oh, okay. uh, to other rooms and you can hear a pin drop in another room and it would just echo through that vent. And they were testing it. Uh, Grant and Jason were testing it, I said yeah let 's check this vent out because she could be hearing stuff from that i 'm like wow that 's a skeptical moment. Congratulations, guys. you know <laughs> golf clap and so they they tested it. They had Jason stand on one floor, Grant on the other floor, and then he would he would whisper and they would hear it. He would hear it um, Grant would hear it through his ear, and then the camera would pick it up and what they did next is they let 's put a voice recorder right there <laughs> all right so so my first thought was okay, maybe they're going to put a voice recorder right there and they say, okay, we hear this, we know it's the vent. So we can rule that out as a possible EVP or a ghost. Quite the opposite. They actually (laughs) used what they heard through the, the vent as evidence for a ghost, even though just based on the clarity and the sound alone, you can tell that it came from somewhere else in the house through that vent. And it sounded Just like the little girl in that house.
0: I was going to say the family had kids, right? She she
1: had a a three-year-old little girl, okay? Mm -hmm. And I have a four-year-old. My youngest daughter is four. And the conversations she has with herself on a daily basis is (laughs) absolutely amazing to watch. Because she's playing three or four different characters in her head. She's walking through the house. She's playing Frozen. She's playing uh, Teen Titans Go. She's playing any any number of shows all at once. She's different characters all the time, all all every day. Not once do I think she's talking to ghosts. She's right. just that's what children do. Mm-hmm. And not once did they question the child um, as far as this is what a normal three year old does.
0: That's a good point because even if let's give them the benefit of the doubt, let's say no. for the sake of <laughs> say for the sake of argument, the voice did say they don't want us. How do you know it's not the girl talking to her doll or acting out, you know, yeah. a scene in her head or something?
1: Exactly. That's the problem with these shows, too. They don't take the time to rule things out. Mm-hmm. You know, they they may say, you know, we didn't catch anything. But when they do catch something, it's automatic evidence. But they never take the time to rule out what they caught. So this one in particular, I, I posited in the in the episode, I was like, when you're showing the – letting the the homeowner hear the the evp and the little girl is standing right next to you take her into another room have her talk into the recorder and then compare the audio
0: yeah it's even it's kind of like um when the police are investigating a crime and they have suspects re- repeat a phrase or something like that you know what i mean but i think it's because like we're about confirmation bias and the ghost hunters themselves uh, uh, have this kind of uh, suspension of disbelief going on. It's mm-hmm. like that's what's kind of cringe-inducing about it. It's like watching a bunch of adults act like children, in a way.
1: Well, I don't. I don't. It's almost as if they. Well, they already know what they want to believe, right? Because, because in the in that first pilot episode of Ghost Hunters, right, uh, in the very beginning when they're doing the background on the, on the two guys, Jason said, um. He's looking for evidence to prove to skeptics that ghosts exist. <laughs> how blatant right. is that? He already knows what he wants to know. He knows the conclusion that exactly, he's for, right? So automatically, you're like, you're full of crap because you're not out to do this honestly. You're you're out to prove your point. That's not how science works. So if you use the term science or scientific method, you're lying Mm because you're not doing it
0: it's obviously pseudoscience and they're not actually employing the uh, scientific method
1: right because if they were um they would rule out a lot of their their stuff as just crap so uh during my research of paranormal there's actually paranormal investigators who investigate the paranormal scientifically um and lo and behold they haven't found evidence for the paranormal yet. Surprise, surprise. When you apply stringent measures to the paranormal and testing controls and controls to the environment, the paranormal doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. Joe Nickel mm-hmm. and um, Benjamin Radford uh, are, are two of the most well-known paranormal investigators, scientific paranormal investigators. They, they've written books. I'm feverishly reading all their books on on their investigations and their case studies. Um, and they do it from a scientific point of view, and it works, but there's they haven't found any evidence for the paranormal yet
0: well, it's funny um because I have this weird kind of uh connection or or affinity or something for the uh the shroud of turin i I don't believe <laughs> obviously i'm an a I like to call <laughs> myself an agnostic atheist if I'm pushed into a corner, you know that's the best description of me, and most atheists, whether they know it or not, are probably agnostic atheists. One's a belief claim, one's a knowledge claim, Right. You know. Um, but, what the heck is they gonna say? But, uh, and I can remember... I've been wrestling when I, I've been kind of wrestling with the loss of God for a long time, not now, now I've come to a conclusion, but when right. I was younger, you know, because I was raised Catholic, I was raised with all these kind of superstitious beliefs, and from a young age, I could feel my beliefs slipping away from me, and I was questioning things. It caused a lot of angst and whatnot in my life. and I can remember being a kid and kind of hoping beyond hope that someone would prove the Shroud of Turin to be real. Then as I got older, it kind of reversed. It's like, I've gotten used to the idea that the Just Not might be a god. Oh, don't prove that thing real now, because now I'll have to change my view again. (laughs) But, you know, I'm kind of half-choking. I do have that kind of reaction, but I still keep my mind open. If someone proved it real, I wouldn't say no, just because I didn't want it to be real. But I'm still fascinated by it and Joe Nichols done a lot of research uh regarding the shroud of Turin. Mm-hmm. And I I talked I did a couple of episodes on the shroud Turin and I uh, actually discuss Joe Nichol. and I'm trying to think if he's the one who came up with the idea of uh how it might have been a shallow bas relief cuz the shroud I don't know how familiar you are with the uh shroud of Turin are you familiar with it or I mean
1: I know what it is um but I'm not too up on the history of it, just what I heard from you and other people talk about it.
0: Yeah, so it's basically like a rectangular cloth with the image of the front of a man's body and it has all the classic signs of, uh, or it fits with the classic tale of the the scourging and the crucifixion. There's all sorts of little lacerations, (laughs) nail holes, uh, marks from a crown of thorns or whatever. Yeah. And um, if you unfold it, then you see the back of the figure as well. And what's kind of cool about it is it, that it never seems to be completely written off as a forgery because whenever one scientist says why it's fake, another scientist will come up with a, a counter argument that you can't completely dismiss. Um,
1: and well, the... see, see, let me speak to that real quick. Okay. Um, so there's two different things between it's fake and that it, it's, it's quote unquote real, meaning that, yeah, it's really old and something created it, right. but doesn't mean it's really Jesus's silhouette or whatever.
0: Well, that's the thing with it. It So the the story where it kind of gained uh, momentum in a way, and, and it goes back to most likely it is a medieval forgery. I'll just say that. But, uh, the story of it kind of begins, oddly enough, in the ni- in the 19th century, where this Italian photographer, I think it's Secundo Pia, something like that, right. took a picture of it. And when he saw the negative, he uh, pretty much uh, shit a brick, metaphorically speaking. I'm it going all I literal. have a couple of ciders in me. I'm swearing. You have to put an explicit label on this one. E- exactly. And... Uh, and what he, the the shroud itself has kind of like an ochre or sepia-colored image, and the, the image looks rather faint. But when you take a picture of it, it looks like a photographic negative, and it's mm-hmm. chock-full of information and detail. So that made people believe that caught the world's attention. And then they did uh, like carbon dating tests and samples and whatnot, and the carbon dating put it back to the middle ages roughly in between like the 1300s, the 1500s or something like that. And so people were like, end of this. It's fake. people." Yeah. And then people on the scientists on the other side started saying that the sample could have been taken from a part of the uh, cloth that had been repaired or that had been smoke damaged. And some members of the shroud of Turin research project, which were um, this team of legitimate scientists back in the 70s that are allowed to research it, actually agree with that. Um, but my big thing, my personal thing, and I haven't heard anyone, I don't think I've really heard anyone else speak to this, but some scientists out there probably has, is that the shroud looks like the perfect outline of a person, you know, perfect proportions. But if this was a, a, sh- a cloth that was wrapped around the body of Jesus, and as believers think it was created when some energy was re- there we go again energy. energy there it is some energy was released during the resurrection which left an imprint of Jesus's body why would there only be a perfect outline of the front of the body and the back of the body if the energy radiated out shouldn't it left an image of the side of the body too so when you unfolded the cloth the body would look grossly distorted because you'd be looking at the sides of the arms and the side of the sides of the head kind of folded out, you know what I mean? Um, And obviously, as an atheist, there's other reasons why I doubt its validity, (laughs) but I think that's a pretty big one that a lot of people, including scientists, overlook. If it's supposedly divine energy that left this impression on it, why don't we see a distorted image? Because it would have wrapped the whole... Body, And I think Joe Nichols said it could have been created by laying a cloth over a bas-relief, you know, just like a a very shallow statue. Right. So, and then either basically baking it or rubbing the image on it so that you would see this brownish image. Um, And because the bas-relief was so shallow... You wouldn't end up with a grossly distorted image when you took it off the statue or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: You know, I'm looking at the picture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- what really uh, raises my skeptical flag is why can't you see the hair and the beard?
0: Uh, why can't you see the hair no, in the beard? No, why
1: can you? Because you can clearly make out – Oh. The, what looks like the European white Jesus with right. the long hair and the beard. Jim Caviezel maybe
0: from uh, yeah, The if, Passion if of the, the Christ. If
1: Jesus was a real person, and mm-hmm. I'm skeptical of his existence, yeah. he would not be a white European.
0: Right. He'd be and, a first century Jew.
1: Exactly. He would be Middle Eastern. Um, he would have darker skin, shorter uh, cropped hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he would have a, a more rounded face. Um, then what's in this picture? This picture looks like a statue of what Europeans, white Europeans think Jesus looked like. Because you can clearly see the outline of hair. You can clearly see eyes. You can see the bridge of the nose. You can see his beard. If you compare that to, to um, contemporary pictures of Jesus, I guarantee you it will look the same. So that right there is a dead giveaway. And the fact that the Catholic Church, which is a European, white European belief, um, system, mm-hmm. is touting this as proof of their savior uh, should be <laughs> enough for any skeptic to say it's completely bullshit.
0: Well, I th- I'm trying to think about, I-, I don't know what the Catholic Church's stance is. I think they embrace the Shroud of Turin as a kind of beloved relic or icon but i don't know if they've put their definitive stamp on it well yeah uh, the
1: catholic church is really uh wishy-washy and things like that going back to our earlier conversation about exorcism right right they, they they'll be skeptical 95 percent of the time but oh, that five percent is a real demon um so you know it's <laughs> you know right. i'm not really um i don't really take what they say as uh, as the gospel for
0: uh pun now, intended This ties into – this kind of segues into something else I wanted to talk to you about. You weren't – I think maybe one of the key differences between you and I might be that uh, you weren't raised religious, right? Were you kind of raised in a kind of – even if your parents weren't doing it intentionally, kind of a secular atmosphere? Yeah,
1: there wasn't really – the only time I remember going to any kind of church event was with an aunt. And uh, and ironically, the, the only thing I remember is getting eaten alive by giant black ants on a playground. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's where my atheism comes from. So maybe yeah. I'm just mad at ants. Was that gone. some
0: kind of e- evil ritual? <laughs> yeah. <in? laughs> yeah, it was one of
1: those weird – I had those snake uh, handlers. The handlers. Those, those are yeah. ant fighters.
0: <laughs> oh, man. To prove
1: your faith, young person, lie in this pile of black ants, and the Lord will protect you from that venom. I me.
0: forget where it is. It's somewhere in... I forget the exact uh, chapter and verse, but somewhere in the New Testament it talks about how you'll be able to pick up serpents, and no deadly thing will be able to touch you, or whatever.
1: Technically, the but, verse says you may drink no poison or venom. That says nothing about snakes biting you, so even they're doing it wrong, the snake handlers.
0: And so many of them have dropped dead by now when they get the, the message is along the way
1: wasn't strong enough come on now yeah
0: yeah, that's right that's right keep doing it guys you weren't believing enough you
1: weren't believing hard enough believe harder
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's so crazy and i because uh i think i brought that question up because we were just talking about exorcism and i think i've mentioned before how uh it's funny even though i became a non-believer at a relatively young age even though i probably wasn't fully aware of terms like atheist and agnostic. Still, The Exorcist did such a number on me as a kid that even though I was well into my kind of unbelief, you know, in my 20s, I I probably had nightmares about The Exorcist at least like once a year up until the time I was like 27, as as embarrassing as that is. And I think part of it is just because of the uncanny and disturbing imagery and, and, uh, I sound so. effects and stuff yeah. but i wonder if part of it was from having a catholic upbringing that kind of reinforced some of that supernatural stuff as well well and I maybe can... if someone like you saw it they might not be as uh bothered by it
1: well i can tell you just anecdotally right um the movie stigmata
0: oh i remember that with uh patricia arquette yeah i used to have a uh... huge crush on her man
1: <laughs> so it's 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 you a catholic sin...
0: highway no I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but she's she's <laughs> naked in Lost Highway. Wait, go on. Well, hold on, let me Google. No, <laughs> Mr. Skin is that what it is? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm probably not doing very well with my female listeners right now, but go on. That's all right. Uh, but but
1: it's it's a Catholic centric movie, right? Right. Uh, but it had an impact on me um, because yeah, I think what it is uh, because when you when you read the bible and and i've read the bible um you 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 don't have any reference point to what you're reading to put a visual on it so you use kind of what you think it is or what you've seen in movies of what it would be like cuz when i read the bible and they talk about you know the 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 slaughter of all these people they talk about you know fire raining down and destroying cities <laughs> i don't have any concept of that from my reality so i would you know, pick things from like deep impact where right? I see asteroids hit right. things with. Right. And I think that's the same thing with movies and how it reinforces people's belief. And that's why I'm going to pick on Christians because that's what I'm most familiar with. Why they, they rely so much on a visual medium to, to reinforce their beliefs because it gives them that reference point. So when I see stigmata and I see, you know, she's having her, her hands, uh, bleeding and her feet bleeding and, you know, all this stuff going through that, that supposedly what Christ went through, um, and see it happening to a real person you know even though it's special effects it it gives you a reference point and i think that's what christians rely on a lot is that visual aspect of it
0: well that yeah i think and that kind of ties back into we're talking about images of christ (laughs) you know like uh isn't it funny how jesus kind of matches your ethnicity And even though you don't see it as much but you know um There are some representations of uh, a black Jesus or minorities from whatever uh, ethnicity or whatever will sometimes have images of Jesus that match. People want a savior that looks like them or at least has the same skin color, unfortunately, or whatever. Uh, It's it's kind of an ugly way of uh, thinking. no, I, I mean I don't think it's really an ugly way of thinking. I think that's just
1: I think that's just natural, and and we want to re, we want to find things we relate to that, that yeah we that's have. true that's true you know, uh, you know Tupac is famously you know saying you know he's looking for his black Jesus, <laughs> chocolate he, Jesus baby right you know he wants his he wants his savior for his for for who he is you know the white Jesus doesn't work I want the black Jesus the black Jesus who understands me who who's lived as I have lived and I don't I don't think that's Uh, necessarily a bad thing i I think it's poor thinking and it's
0: it makes sense in a way too because if you've been so marginalized that you look at the other group as the quote-unquote other because they're suppressing you mm -hmm. and you know that they don't even look at you as being fully human Mm -hmm. because of just because the color of your skin then you're not gonna want to think of your god as looking like the people from the elk who's oppressing you yeah which
1: always baffles me about um, the 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 Christianity of, of black Americans.
0: Right. Like they were being uh, mm-hmm. so oppressed and so brutalized. Why right. would you accept the belief system of your of masters? Your, uh, presses, right? Yeah. I, it might just, I wonder how many generations it took for that to kick in. It could be like a generational thing. Like people became more susceptible as the... Um, african beliefs kind of receded you know with the the passing of generations yeah i i don't know but yeah it, it does make you think like you almost want to go back in time and shake them and like don't yeah don't, don't you know their, yeah uh, kool-aid man
1: it's it's almost like um you know if i if i can put myself in that position it, and it's really hard for for a white man to do that been, <laughs> right dear listeners please i I, I'm trying to empathize. I thought you were, you're, you're not black. No, the, sorry. I'm not that. This not interview is over. Forever.
0: I thought I was talking to a black man. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um,
1: but, but like, it's almost going back to hope, right? If, mm-hmm. if you're looking, when you're in that position, um, you're looking for something greater than yourself to grab onto. Um, and, and you, maybe a two or three generations later, that's, that's what you know um because that's what was taught to you maybe your roots uh from your continent from Africa are are forgotten or maybe it's blended with the belief system that you're in now like but voodoo, it's almost a, right? yeah i mean no one no one can can look at someone like Martin Luther King Jr right mm-hmm. and say his christian uh upbringing did not influence his social justice because if you listen to any speech he has ever given oh yeah he uses his, his Christian, his Christianity as a, 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 point of reference for his social justice and for his, his civil rights movement. If if, and if you hear any, atheist the Exodus say that,
0: story is, is yeah. a big, resonates a lot with, right. um, yeah. If you can't say Christianity struggle.
1: influenced Martin Luther King and you deny that, there's something wrong with you Exactly, it, it's, it's, uh, so evident and so apparent in, in, in any of his speeches. Um, so you got to think it's it's a hope thing um, because what most Christians uh, and I'm theorizing here what most Christians they want to they only want to believe the good things about their their faith mm-hmm. you know they don't want to talk about the ugly nasty things and if you ever bring it up to them they always come up with an excuse to, oh that was the Old Testament or or that was an epistle that Jesus didn't say or Jesus didn't say that because they only want to remember the good things and I think m- maybe that that culture that those people found the good things in it.
0: We're yeah, a New Testament do. people.
1: Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but when the new, the but new wait, Testament the puck new, about
0: hating the gays in Leviticus? We'll keep that. We'll,
1: we'll keep that, but, but yeah, it's new, because <laughs> the old one's old, and the new means new, so that means after the old, because it's new.
0: But then but sometimes we'll, they'll play, the if then if you try to uh, call them on their Old Testament beliefs, then they'll say, "Well, Jesus was completed the covenant, you know, and uh, Jesus said he came to not to abolish the law, but fulfill the law." Yeah. so there's a lot of switcheroo going on there. But right.
1: There's a lot of um, uh, cognitive uh, dissonance. Cognitive yeah. dissonance, exactly, and <laughs> that happens all the time in the paranormal community too. But I, I think the aliens. I, yeah, I think it's a hope thing. That's 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 my thing. I think it's something they. – that community found, and I, I've spoken to several black atheists. Um, I had a friend of social work school who who she was a black atheist too, mm-hmm. and uh, we we talked about this subject a lot. And and even she, who's she's heavily involved in social justice and and in the history of the civil rights movement, that even to her it, it's it's hard for her to understand as well
0: why African well, I don't the know.
1: Christianity of of African Americans,
0: right, right. No, I've heard African-American individuals on YouTube kind of railing against that, too. And some of them take it to extremes, of course. Um, There's like, for lack of a better term, there's these black power kind of, or uh, I forget the word. It's black something. I don't know if it's black power. Uh, It's black Mm -hmm. something. And uh, it's just absolutely crazy where they go to the extremes about how... uh, Um they just rip apart Christianity, but they also embrace this kind of pseudo history where are they called black Israelites? Something like that. No
1: Hebrew what are they I know I met one of these guys before. Oh, Uh, that think
0: that the ancient Hebrews were actually black or African, right? Um but there's a famous black preacher, and he's a really hateful guy that's on YouTube. And it's just unbelievable. I think the last video I saw of him, he was actually defending Hitler somehow, but it's just absolutely crazy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think, but it's basically just like flipping racism on its head, like white people are the savages and black people are the enlightened and advanced, super civilized ones or whatever. Right. we're all out of Africa baby it's just uh, melanin it's, and uh, exactly it's superficial changes yeah to the climate and things like that um there was some, I, oh go ahead I'm sorry I
1: said you know what I find fascinating about evolution what is that there's more genetic diversity within Africa than outside of it the 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 genetic diversity just within the different sections of Africa there's more of that than in the rest of the world we're and, and that just
0: it just fascinating no end. And that sounds like a stat I heard once that was similar, but it said something like, uh, there's more genetic difference between two members of the same family than between two ethnic groups or quote unquote races. And I, I don't even like the, the term race really. Yeah. Um but yeah, it just goes to show. Yeah. It's it's
1: amazing. Um but like uh the, even evolution, in, in and of itself, is—I don't understand how that's a controversial topic amongst uh, scientific—it's uh, just a theory. I'm—I've C-
0: do, never done this on the show before. I'm doing. Why are you doing uh, Southern
1: accents all of a sudden? It,
0: it's the theory of <laughs> it's evolution. The theory, C-web.
1: you know what the theory means? It would be Bill? a fact if
0: it were real.
1: <laughs> so technically you know a theory is better than a fact a theory is made up under, of facts.
0: yeah but yeah they don't and in scientific parlance not dealing with the vernacular it's a, a hypothesis is the more loose one you know when you're just proposing an idea and theory is when something's peer-reviewed and it reaches scientific consensus and uh what a, a theory is probably shy of being a law or something like that. Yeah. But sometimes pe- people will talk about the germ theory of disease, or the theory of gravity, or whatever. Well, the law of gravity. But you get my point.
1: Do you? um Germs
0: ain't real. See what? Uh, they're just a
1: tool a of the theory devil to get you to get vaccinated tiny with the reptilians. gay virus. Or <laughs> you believe in the gay virus? The gay virus mutated and evolved so you believe in evolution no that's not what i said um <laughs> uh, you find yourself like when you're talking to somebody and you say like when, when normal people i say normal people would say oh i have a theory do you say oh i have a hypothesis
0: no it's just a difference it's a semantics it's uh, i do
1: i do every time someone says i like i come up with an idea i don't say i have a theory I Say, "Oh, i have a hypothesis
0: well that's I'm actually that. pretty good you're actually uh trying to reinforce the actual scientific usage of the words, which right. can't fault you for that. That's not, If more people did that, there'd probably be less confusion eventually. You it's know? my own
1: little fight I'm
0: battling Your here. own little contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, yeah. There was something I was going to ask you about. Uh, I don't even know if you'll like the topic because... Uh,
1: Gamergate? I'm not talking about it.
0: <laughs> not Gamergate, <laughs> uh, but I was going to say... <laughs> Not not gamergate gay precisely, but pretty damn close. I was gonna say what you think about this about the whole like atheist infighting in the MRa. I, I didn't even know MRAs existed till I till like three months ago or something. Like the MR the Men's Rights Movement versus the Feminists. You don't have to talk about gamergate. We don't even have to talk about this. But I, I, I just noticed that it seems to get your back up a bit when, whenever I, I I mentioned the topic so i take it uh,
1: yeah the uh so you know the men's rights activists so there there's actually a legitimate purpose for such a group right um take take child custody, custody rights and, and stuff custody yeah. rights right there's actually a legitimate reason to have a group like this the problem with the group is that they extend it beyond what it should be um, mm-hmm. they, they almost, it's almost conspiratorial where it's like, there's this conspiracy amongst, uh, feminists <laughs> to, to destroy masculinity when that's mm-hmm. further from the, it's the furthest thing from the truth.
0: I think they uh, say beta males or something. What, the, what, what did you, what, what was that one where it's like, I don't even need women. It's like, dude, are you getting late? Oh, laid dude. Yeah, there's something I never heard of before. I didn't know what the hell it was. It's, uh, MGTOW it stands for men going their own way or something like that. Yeah, and I'm like, have fun you, with you that. Take, you taking it to that extreme, man? Go ahead,
1: have fun with that because you're not procreating and there'll be
0: less of you with each successive generation. That's so true, and you'll end up dying off. Have fun with that, guy. It reminds me of like The Little Rascals or something like the He-Man Woman Haters Club <laughs> or something. There is almost like a childish mentality about it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it, I, I think it has... Um, a a younger uh, demographic um, to it. There may be a few people who are older who are are at the forefront of the movement. Mm -hmm. Um, But but the problem is they take the focus off real issues. Um, It's almost like Alex Jones. You know who Alex Jones is, right?
0: (laughs) You know about the FEMA camps there. (laughs) Exactly, right? I'll be dead by the time this airs, so we gotta get this out. (laughs) So,
1: Alex Jones... um, uh, is it, almost as if he sometimes 9-11 he, when,
0: was an inside job i got the papers right oh, here the go government's coming go for ahead, me. I'm I'm gonna take it from
1: me i don't know what to do <laughs> all right i'm gonna send this out on a usb flash drive secure i'll give you the password in a separate email if you open it up just make sure you open it up in a secure location all right <laughs> bohemian, Gro-
0: bohemian bohemian Grove f- is real though but i don't think it adds up to much but it's cr- it's creepy but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well.
1: Yeah. yeah. All the rich, so, so white he, again, people dress
0: that, up in robes and do yeah, plays and stuff. That's
1: but. that's my point, though. My point is, he actually touches on legitimate issues. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he goes far and beyond what the implications are that people just joke and laugh and laugh it off. Right. Because he touches on legitimate issues that we need to be addressing as a society and as a country. Um, but the fact that it's so cartoonish. It's, it, it, it diminishes the impact and it, and it, it trivializes the conversation and as I say, that's the same thing with the MRAs, and it's, is there's real issues to focus on, and if we focus on those issues, we can have some agreement, but don't take it further than it needs to go.
0: Well, it is kind of funny because you have people on uh, you know the men's right side who can, who are supposedly atheists like uh, Thunderfoot. And, uh, I mean, I like some of these guys. They do some pretty good uh, videos when they just cover, I want to say regular talk to- but topics more geared towards the atheist community or whatever. Right. Like Thunderfoot or Sargon of Akkad or whatever. And then um, you have the kind of free thought blogs uh, feminists who kind of get upset about all sorts of stuff. And it's like, I want to say to both sides, aren't you guys atheists? But neither side's talking about atheism. You're both complaining about gender. It's like why can't everyone get together and agree what's unfair and unjust for you know on both sides, right? And and try to acknowledge your shared humanity instead of this childish like my team versus your team stuff. Well, I
1: think that that goes to you know atheism isn't a. uh, I hesitate to say this word but it's it's not a, a philosophy it's a statement right. of belief right it's
0: inclusion in a way at least for me that's right a, it's myself, a, it's
1: it's know. not a philosophy like if if you ask me like see what well, what's what's your philosophy i would say i'm a secular humanist right yeah absolutely that, that's what i would identify myself as politically i would say you know i'm a progressive um uh as far as government wise i would say secular you know separation of church and state as far mm-hmm. as your values or morals go, I would say humanist. Um, yeah. Atheist is just to me is a statement of belief. Is that I don't believe in a higher power. Okay, that doesn't really define who I am. I, I'm, I have more aspects. It's and not so you, a
0: creed. It's not like you go around right. every day like thinking of yourself as an <laughs> going to the local atheist temple or whatever a non temple. Right. You know?
1: right? And 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 so you have you know different groups of atheists who have that one thing in common. That binds them to a certain degree, but they have differing views on society and, and Everything philosophy. Everything else or whatever, yeah. <laughs> right. So even though, yeah, we're all atheists, we're all hoo-hoo against God, whatever, um, but— That leaves that a lot being, of
0: room for a you different You have to be more opinion.
1: than that, right. If you're mm-hmm. just an atheist, you need more than that. That's not going to cut it. You need to have something else. And to some people, it's extreme masculinity, um, and to some people, it's it's extreme— uh, feminism. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, it, atheism shouldn't define who you are.
0: And that's kind of weird. That's uh, at the point where, um, where uh, gender or the defending of one's gender becomes almost like a religion. And I see this on both sides and people just become obsessed with gender and they see everything through a lens of gender. And I think I tried to explain on a episode before about how, yeah, I'm a, you know, a straight guy. If I'm walking down a street and I see attractive woman, it, you know, uh, obviously, um, your head's gonna turn. Yeah, my head's gonna turn or whatever. <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna treat her with as much respect as I would treat every man. I'm gonna recognize her common humanity. Exactly. Uh,
1: She's not an object.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, what the heck was a? I was gonna say something, but I, I think you might have made like made a light bulb go off in my head when. Because you, your personal experience um, was that you just kind of got sick of focusing on the atheism angle and mm-hmm. you kind of found like this new sense of relief or freedom being able to branch out and cover a more diverse uh, array of topics. Right. And I think, and, and when you were talking about how you have to have more than atheism, it reminded me to, of when I started this podcast and I purposely made the tagline, you know, for atheists, agnostics, and and whoever, and whoever. I almost said everyone, which isn't <laughs> as flippant or whatever. But, um, and I really mean that, and I've been sincere about it from day one. And I think one of the reasons why I keep discussing this stuff, and I haven't got tired of it yet, is because it touches on so many different things for me that I'm interested in. You know, whether it's ancient history, philosophy, news and politics, you know, I might be talking in almost in, um admiring sort of way uh, about some aspect of, an- of ancient religion on one episode. Uh, maybe I'll talk about something like how monotheism evolved out of polytheism, and I'm not bashing monotheism. I'm just talking about it with a sense of fascination and academic wonder. And maybe the next week I'm talking about Pat Robertson or you know, the Republican candidates Bible-thumping. Hmm. and uh, If or, God spoke to you, has God spoke to you yet, presidential oh, candidates? Yeah, that was, uh, oh, geez, when That was uh, That was
1: at the debates uh, on Fox News,
0: the Republican debates. I didn't see that part personally, but it, oh, it was on Real Time with Bill Maher where I saw him bring that so up I, to I, Mary hold on, hold
1: on, I got a, I got a question for okay. you. Okay. Okay. And every time you bring up Bill Maher, I, I think of this question for you. All right. um, speaking of car- compartmentalization, how do you compartmentalize Bill Maher's political religious beliefs with his anti-science
0: Oh, stance? I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I have to admit, and this kind of caught me off guard or whatever is <laughs> when I think I heard Brian Dunning. Mm -hmm. Talk about this because I think Brian Dunning a long time ago and he got kind of in trouble with Joe Rogan uh, because of the same list. He made a list of Hollywood celebrities that he thought were dangerous because they kind of promoted pseudoscience Mm -hmm. and he put Joe Rogan on there and he actually very, very like douche chill or inducing clash between him and uh, <laughs> and Joe Rogan on an episode of Joe, Joe Rogan's, I should say deuce chill, but you know, just awkward, kind of painful to watch. But I could, I could, so before you go on, I can sympathize with his position
1: because, like him, my shows are scripted, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm a better writer to in ex- when expressing my thoughts than I am when I'm speaking them just uh, off the top of my head. I see where you're going, so like you. Uh, and what I love about your show is a way you can just have that conversation with you, yourself. Baby. Yeah, you can have that conversation <laughs> with yourself, and and I can I can see you having that conversation. I can see the questions coming up, and I can see you answering the questions without asking the question. Right, and, and, and that's a skill, you know. Take no bones about it. That that is a talent and a skill to do that, and, and I'm envious of people who can do that. But given Brian Dunning and the way his show is scripted. When he's put in a position with someone like Joe Rogan, who his job is to talk. He's a comedian. He knows how to think on his feet. He thinks up mm-hmm. he he he's just that's what he does. Um I can I can forgive Brian for not having the best. Fish choice. out of water. Yeah, Fish exactly.
0: Water. Yeah, I should be uh I actually was just used a kind of bad choice of words. I don't mean that Dunning gave me the deuce chills because I didn't like him. I meant that I kind of felt that vicarious sense of embarrassment because he was a fish out of water when he went up against uh, Rogan. And he's actually really charming on his podcast. And like you said, you know, the episodes are scripted. And it was just like seeing a different side of him. Uh, seeing him, like you said, go against go up against someone who talks for a living. And he came off as kind of stiff or not as likable as he... Uh, usually is, but I think it was on that episode where he does a list of celebrities he thinks are promoting pseudoscience. And this is the first time I heard about it, He because t- I didn't really watch Bill Maher back in the day when he did, like, um what was the old show, Politically Incorrect, he did? Yeah, Politically Incorrect. Um, And I probably started watching real time with Bill Maher maybe like four years ago and stuff. And I think he's kind of, if not backpedaled, he's just learned not to talk as much about, like, what supposedly pharmaceuticals do to people or vaccines or things like that, Um but yeah, that was kind of a wake-up call when I when I listened went back and listened to some old episodes of Skeptoid and heard Brian Dunning bring that up. And supposedly, yeah, Bill Maher does have a history of saying some anti-vaxxer type of stuff and being kind of uh very critical of the pharmaceutical industry. In which in a way I'm sure there are bad and greed-driven aspects of the pharmaceutical. Industry, but at the same time, as someone myself, you know, I take asthma drugs and right. uh, You're benefit I of it. take Pride sec for heartburn. Uh, as I've mentioned on a couple episodes recently, I've wrestled with things like depression and anxiety to mm-hmm. some degree over the years. And I take a tiny dose of an antidepressant every day. And uh, I mean, I guess he's probably not as bad as Scientology, <laughs> you know, or Scientology thinks that the drugs don't do anything and right. psychiatry is totally evil. And if you go back, it's really kind of pathetic, but I think L. Rod Hubbard originally wanted Scientology or Dianetics or whatever to be looked at as a branch of uh, psychiatry or something like that. And he got rejected by the psychiatric community and he kind of held this grudge against them. And that in part explains Scientology's antagonism to um the psych the the uh psychiatric industry, but yeah, but I actually do remember when I first started watching Bill Mars probably before I started the podcast, and he would talk about with like with a lot of suspicion and disdain how people had to be wary about drugs and pharmaceuticals and stuff, and I think it's just a matter of science, like certain like antidepressants, most of them like the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors elevate serotonin primarily and some other neurotransmitters. And mm-hmm. we know it's a feel-good chemical. It's also the chemical that chemical that's potentiated by taking MDMA, ecstasy, right. which I have done a lot. But uh, <laughs> back in the club days at Full least. Full disclosure. The nineties. The nineties and the early two thousands were a wild time or whatever. But uh what the heck was I gonna say but so it just makes sense you know you, you have a deficiency perhaps of a certain chemical you have a drug that elevates that chemical all right let's go it makes sense that it would help you yeah i think there's a problem with uh, drugs and uh, with you know legal drugs in a sense that a lot of them have of course side effects or adverse uh, effects because we're still primates groping at the at the truth you know we're still experimenting and but he <sighs> Well, no I was going to say like, say something like we're still in the dark a little. We might discover a medication and know it, it helps or works in one part of the body. Well, it could be having adverse effects in another part of the body or in a way we don't totally know. But I still think medical science is so unbelievable and it's done so much for us. But um, I, I think you're right. If I don't know if he still holds those views, but if he does, how does he justify it or harmonize it with the healthy skepticism with which he approaches organized religion, right?
1: Yeah, because um, it, it's that compartmentalization that we always speak about that believers do. With religious people. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and it's so apparent in his behavior. Uh, the few times that I've watched his show— um he he's had on uh, anti gmo people oh uh, yeah yeah he
0: doesn't like um was it Monsanto yeah so up in your up in your corn row was it the uh the Brian Dunning song he did he did a rap song and yeah same line oh, about god. Monsanto up in your uh corn rows or something but anyway go on yeah
1: but <laughs> but um he he'll, he'll quote science as uh evidence that there is no god but uh, dismiss that science when it says there's no um, adverse health effects to GMOs, or that. Right. Uh, surprise, surprise. Vaccinations work. We don't yeah. have smallpox.
0: Well, I, I get, I I really get hot under the collar by the anti-vaxxer stuff because it seems so selfish to me. Because basically, what they're doing, let's say, like Jenny McCarthy, um, her kid, you know, has autism, or, or I think now she says he, quote unquote. Had autism or something, so I don't know what's going on. But yeah. at one point, she was saying her kid had autism, and she makes the correlation somewhere in her mind. Maybe she hears some crap, some quack, who proposes this anti-vaxxer stuff, and she bites uh, hook, line, and sinker. Um, and then she goes around mindlessly um, regurgitating all that. But so she thinks that, that there's some correlation, and, and uh, then she's gonna say, well. No one should be having vaccinations or whatever, you know, no one should be giving their kids vaccinations. Vaccinations are evil. And we know that vaccinations have beaten back some serious illnesses like polio, et cetera, that and we see even when there's a slight backslide that some of these diseases diseases start to gain a foothold again so mm-hmm. you better be pretty damn sure that you know what you're talking about when you suggest that people don't get vaccinations when we are talking about diseases that could end up you know wiping out a certain percentage of civilization and and, and we're talking and probably children first in cases of polio and things like that you know
1: Well, the weakest among us. They don't take the time to realize the effect that they're having on the world around them. On other people. Yeah. Narcissism, man. Right. They're so focused with um, their little being that they don't understand that there's people in this world who can't get vaccines because they're immunocompromised uh, or, or they're... They're on a certain kind of medication that won't allow them to do it. Um, that the only reason they're protected from these horrible diseases, it's almost like vaccines are a victim of their success. You know, and I and yeah. I, and I said, take them for granted exactly. Right? And I said this with when I when my two kids were born. It's almost like um, doctors who deliver babies they they're they're a victim of their own success because we do it so well that only in the extreme cases, do babies die giving when they're being born? Um, Like
0: the infant mortality rates of uh, less than 100 years ago or whatever, you know? Right. So so it's almost like, you
1: know, well, why do we have to give birth in a hospital? I can give birth while standing on my head underwater. Lamaze. Yeah, that's perfectly (laughs) fine. Uh, But it's almost like they're a victim of their own success. Same thing as vaccines. Like they're so successful in what they do people think well we don't need them anymore
0: well it's kind of like like i mentioned allergy medicines or whatever it reminds me of me like like uh if you take an allergy medicine every day and you're like, I feel great. I can like tiptoe through the tulips and nigh a sneeze. Then you go, I don't need this anymore.
1: Then all right. of a sudden you're like, I got you. Know, oh my God, like my coming apart
0: and, <laughs> Yes, I think it's like that with vaccines. But it is scary because haven't there been news stories over the last couple of years of certain um, serious illnesses that were a thing of yesterday? Measles. Measles there you go. That uh, started getting a foothold again.
1: Like you don't like people don't. They're so far removed from what measles can do that they don't think it's a a risk, or they don't think it's a danger that they they'll forego the measles vaccination. Now, it, me, I was speaking from experience with with my two children. When we when they were first born, the doctor came in and he had to have the vaccine confirmation, uh, the conversation, right? And and you and you can tell he was kind of hesitant around how to approach because he didn't know what type of people we were. <laughs> right. And I said, I said, doctor, I was like, do it. Give her whatever vaccine she needs. I'm all for it. He's like, really? I'm like, I was like, yep, just do it. He's like, oh, okay. And now our our pediatrician was like, they they won't accept any patient who will not accept vaccines. He's like, you are a patient of our of our, our doctor practice or of our practice. Your your children are getting vaccines. And mm-hmm. so I you know he said they had to have the the autism risk, I'm like, doctor, I'm like, I know a lot about this stuff. Uh, I, I fully accept the science behind it and the benefit of vaccines. You don't have to have this conversation. With what,
0: do they have even a percentage number they've put on that of like the mm-hmm. chance of autism or whatever? They like, don't. They don't. <laughs> but he,
1: he says like, there's some people who say that there's a risk of autism. He said, well, the science doesn't show. I'm like, doctor, I know. I, I'm not that person. I, I fully trust and not only your skills as a doctor, but in the in the scientific method and in the science behind vaccines, shoot my kids up,
0: I, line I them up. It probably gives you peace of mind too, because you don't want your kid falling to some deadly illness, and you don't want to know that maybe your kids spread the illness b- because you didn't get them vaccinated. That might be an extreme scenario, but like we were just saying, things like measles making a comeback. You know? Well, yeah. It's it, when you
1: look at it. From a health uh, a health point of view, right? As a as health as a society, um, I, I think I think society comes together to to for the overall health of, of its collective. Mm-hmm. Um, even though some people don't like to think of that, they think we're all individuals, right? You didn't build that type of thing, um, but the only you reason didn't we build ex- that, yeah, <laughs> you know, from from 2012 the presidential election where President Obama Barack said you didn't build you didn't that. build that, yeah, you you didn't. You didn't build That's the true. infrastructure
0: that allows you to ship your product. Yeah, the big fat cats still has to use the public roads and everything else. Right, you
1: yeah. didn't build build the education system that trained your workforce. You didn't build the mm-hmm. government institution that backs your small business loan
0: my taxes you, go belly paid up. For you didn't it, build it's that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so uh, so I think society as a whole we 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 need to come together for the well-being of each other. And when you you're being selfish If you don't vaccinate your kids, I guess that's what the point of this conversation is. I I forgot where we went off the rails on this.
0: (laughs) No, I I think we did a pretty good job talking about it. Uh, (laughs) To to praise ourselves there, Allah. Uh, Oh, praise Allah. Right now, both yeah. you and I are both converting to Islam. Right, that's now. that's right. Nation of Islam, here I come. <laughs> and I was gonna say, uh, did you speaking of Brian Dunning? Did you see that Brian Dunning replied to our little conversation about Skeptoid on Twitter recently? No, and I, I, I think he might hate you now. Well, that's a strong word. That's very presumptuous of me. But remember how I said uh, I loved the Jesus Mask episode? I said it was well-researched, and it reminded me of Skeptoid. And you said something about,
1: but with more charisma. And then I
0: made the D&D joke or whatever. Well, he said, all of a sudden Brian Dunning tweeted, a podcast can ask for no higher praise. And he did a little winky emoticon. And then I said, I sucked up to him. And I said, uh, hi, Brian, um, a big fan of Skeptoid, one of the first podcasts I, I ever listened to. Years later, still listening to it, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, gave me some kind of pat on the head or something like that. And uh, yeah, so we saw it. And then um, a listener of the show asked me if I thought that was actually Brian Dunning or if it was a stand-in, and I'm not going to get into why it might be a stand-in. We all know that. But I noticed the most recent episode of Skeptoid, it's a listener feedback episode, and it's Brian Dunning. So uh, he's actually out of jail now. Oh, there you go. I was trying Uh, to tiptoe around it. Yeah, I don't know if you follow him on
1: Facebook. No, not Um, on Facebook. uh, But he said uh, something on Facebook where it's like, I was like, well, that was a thing. Like, you know, like he
0: just got out of... Like it was just a weird dream or something. Yeah, I think
1: I think he's in the new uh, Straight out of Compton movie, by the way. I was just going to
0: say, is he like gangster now? Is he all with, like jailhouse with his, uh, tattoos and yeah. stuff?
1: Well, uh, with his uh, street cred now, white collar prison. Um, <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, that's true, white collar prison.
1: But uh, I think he... Uh, yeah, I think he's out of prison, but I I think it's it's it's, it's legitimately him because I about three or four years ago, um, I, I sent him an email about uh antibacterial soap. Um, people were saying that the antibacterial soap were um, getting into the water supply and causing males to be impotent. And I told him, um, I said, "Hey, maybe this might be a good skeptical topic." And he's like, "Yeah, that might be a good idea." Uh, so I threw an email. Oh, cool. So he responded, "Yeah."
0: He did that with me too. He's actually—I he, don't know if he still is because email almost seems like it's becoming a thing of the past. At least for me, I do all my communicating through uh, social media usually, and uh, but uh, when I emailed him like a few years ago, he emailed me back almost right away, and he was really nice. And I suggested that he do an episode on the case of—I I think it's Annalise or Annalisa Mitchell or. Uh, I, she was either German or Austrian, but it was a case of demonic possession that had well not at you know we're skeptics or whatever but uh supposed demonic possession that happened roughly around the time the exorcist came out either either a little before or a little after and uh this girl's parents were super religious, especially her mother. she was probably like in her early twenties, she had a history of epilepsy. And I think, and a Catholic priest came and performed a series of exorcisms, and she either rejected food, or they starved her as part of the exorcism, and she basically looked like a human skeleton by the end, like a concentration camp victim. And it's pretty sad, there's some devastating images of her online that are really hard to look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also some, re- even if you're an atheist, there's some really creepy audio. They have audio of the exorcisms online and it will blow your mind and send chills up your spine. Cause she's, it's in German and she's like screaming and growling, like mm. not even human. And I sent him pictures and he was like, I just pictured his voice. He was like, yuck. And, uh, and but he ended up doing an episode on it.
1: Yeah. I think I remember that one um, where, where he did that episode. So yeah, he posted on August August, 3rd at 10 53 a.m. He says well that was a thing back to work now. <laughs> so
0: you uh, got to so. own it man. I mean at this point because I went through a thing when I first found out about all that we're almost childishly um I don't know if it's childish to feel this way but it's it kind of like the way a kid would you know when you find out that your hero is human all too human or they're not exactly what you thought they were Yeah, and and uh and I also had to try to reconcile what a kind of champion for the truth he is and the work he does with Skeptoid and the not so truthful or honest stuff he had uh, the nature of that stuff right. that he'd gotten in trouble for and i I came down on the side that you know he's a fellow human being, and whatever got him in trouble um in his personal life or whatever, it doesn't change the message of Skeptoid or it doesn't change the informative nature of Skeptoid. And, uh, I think Skeptoids probably influenced a whole generation of podcasters, including you and me. And, uh, and and I just couldn't stop. It's a great podcast, man. I couldn't stop listening to it, you know, but but yeah, no, I I still
1: listen to it and I, I enjoyed the guest spots really. Um, with the, with the new episode, uh, but Please. I get your point. You know, I, I was a donor to the show, mm-hmm. uh, and and after his um, altercation, or whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I stopped donating. Oh, you can uh, donate that
0: to me now. Go to Patreon. Uh, <laughs> dot com <laughs> slash week, the week weekend down. out. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> While
1: you're God. there, head over to Patreon. dot com slash PSA.
0: <laughs> I forget what. Uh brian dunning says something like uh he'll na- this... he'll name these like recent artists and he always it's kind of adorably square like he always yeah. says so that justin bieber and lady gaga aren't the only ones benefiting yeah you know, <laughs> for the for the price of a lady gaga song you can contribute the skeptoid <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell it is yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that is an unbelievable show though. I mean, it's just like it's f- like 10 or 15 minutes. I-, I don't know how he fits all that information into such a short period of you time. You know, I You've from, done it. You've I've done, done it and, yeah. and
1: just the the sheer sure amount of time to put into not only the research, mm-hmm. but the recording, the editing, and the posting and even just chopping it down to fit into a certain time frame like that's that. You know, I'm gonna be candid here. The reason, one of the reasons why I stopped CY Sunday School was because it took a say lot of C-Y my
0: Sunday School.
1: CY Sunday That was school. the one
0: before C-Web Sunday School. Yeah, that was that was test. That was a beta <laughs> test. <laughs> but why you stop?
1: Don't look that one up. That it's, one, horrible. It's, it's horrible. It's <laughs> horrible.
0: You had a sidekick. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was, I was. I had
1: a a puppet sidekick. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was called Ahmed. And He had a Ahmed. turban. It was just terrible.
0: <laughs> oh, oh my god. Um, I'm on but, my third cider.
1: <laughs> I'm on my fourth IPA. Holy um, shit! I got a catch shop. Yeah, uh, but uh, the reason, one of the reasons why, because I'm not gonna lie, it was hard to do. The research was so time consuming. I had to read so much. You had to take so much information from different resources and make it into a coherent narrative. Um, and some of my episodes were 25, 30 minutes long, like. That took a ton of research and I was just getting so burnt out doing it. And with the paranormal stuff, like the main episodes I do when I review a show, it, the material pretty much writes itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's there, there's nothing that I have to go out of my way to research. Uh, unless and You
0: love those shows so much. You know, you have such an enthusiasm for the, the material, even though you're a skeptic. I can tell you, you, you know, you eat it up. You love watching those shows and dissecting them. So, everything you need in a way is kind of in your head. You've done the analysis as you've watched the show and stuff, right?
1: Yeah. So, I, the process is I I watch the show once without as if I'm just a casual viewer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I get it, so I can get an idea of, of the narrative that they're trying to tell because every show you know, it tells a narrative. It has to tell a story based around something. Um, so I get the idea of what it is. And that way I can go back and look and look at all the different plot points throughout the show that lead or contribute to the narrative. And I can point them out when I actually do my analysis of it. Um, but, but sometimes there's just like so much that, uh, I can say and do. And in in each clip, I'm like, am I doing too much? Am I doing too many clips? Am I not doing enough? Um, Mm -hmm but but in the end you know it, the material writes itself uh when i do the psa shorts uh, when i do the bonus episodes for the members um it takes a little more research um because i got to research a topic or i research a case study and i and i write it out
0: what kind of bonus uh what kind of topics do you cover in the bonus shows
1: oh so um the bonus shows i i do uh, i'll do a case study of a paranormal event of a specific uh, place like oh, I, I've wow. done uh, a, a hunt, like some haunted houses before. In um, the recent bonus episode, I actually did a complete another episode of episode two of Ghost Hunters. Uh, so it was almost like a, a whole another episode that like I normally release for the for the members only. They get an extra uh, bit of that. I do one a month for each member or for each uh, for each month. So the members get an extra bonus episode each month. That's, and they
0: also, I was gonna say, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to be like your pitch man here or whatever, but but I'm like, <clears throat> you get podcasts for free and if yeah. there's a show that's offering free content, you really enjoy the content, then you have to put forth a relative pittance, you know, to yeah. get more content, extra content, you know, why, why not? And, and if it's uh, like the way you're describing it, I think some people, their idea of extra content is they'll shoot the shit about something stupid or whatever. You're actually researching uh, topics yeah. and adding like a, a full, a, another full episode. Right. So the, so
1: here, so it, it, this is, I guess is a semi plug, but it, here's the process. And if there's any future podcasters out there listening and, and it showed some success. Um, but uh, so I did the very first bonus episode I did, I released it to everybody. Because I'm saying this is what you will get when you become a member, mm-hmm. and it was on the chemo theater and and oh I listened to Mexico. that one. Yeah. yeah so that so normally that would have been just for members only so it's similar to that so I'm saying this is what you get for a member, and then the very next one was on pyramid power where the sh- the pyramid shape um, gives you certain supernatural powers it makes fruit stay healthy and it makes <laughs> it, it it's this whole ridiculous thing and, oh and, my god and so you get a you get a bonus episode of that. And the most recent one was you get a whole episode of what my the normal podcasts are when I do a ghost hunting show, but it was part two of the Ghost Hunters uh, season, episode two of their first season. Um, so it continued where the, the first episode left off. And also, uh, since I release an episode every month on the first of the month, I finished recording and editing them way before then. Oh, okay. Like, so... Um so and then I'll release it early to members only. M- members will get it as soon as it's posted as soon as I upload it. Members will get it. They don't have to wait till the 1st of the month.
0: That is awesome. I, I did uh I think the two bonus content things I've done through Patreon are uh I did a history of uh, a brief history of St. Patrick, right? And uh then I did and I actually used my design skills to create some album art. It started off as a regular episode, but I kind of polished it up and uh, created some album art. And then just last week, as promised, I didn't want to make a liar out of myself, so I made sure I did it. Um, one of my favorite uh, horror authors is H.P. Lovecraft. He's, ai uh, don't know how familiar you are. Uh, for some reason, a lot of atheists tend to be H.P. Lovecraft fans. I think he might have been A non believer. I don't know what term he used for himself, but he was a New England horror writer from like the the early part of the 20th century. And he influenced people like Stephen King and a lot of other horror uh, writers and horror horror, (laughs) horror movie makers. And uh, he's the one who created the the Cthulhu or Cthulhu mythos. You know, you hear people yep. joking about Cthulhu with all the tentacles and stuff. Yeah. And it's just amazing stuff. He's so intelligently written that it almost seems believable. There's almost a scientific quality to the horror. And uh, a lot of his works are in the public domain. So I took one of his short stories, The Tomb, to be specific... And it ended up being 24 minutes long when I was done. It probably took like two or three hours to edit because I wanted to get it perfect. I was was that
1: was that the um, during the time where you were asking about how do you remove... Hump. Breaths. Breaths, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Actually, I was doing that at the time. And that's the one thing where I start to feel burnout. It's not the research, which I yeah. dig. It's the... Uh, the editing, and I found myself doing this thing with the podcast where, uh, let's say I have an episode that's like an hour long, and I'll be cutting out breaths and getting rid of empty spaces, mm-hmm. and it feels like I'm crawling, and I'll be like, I'm at the 12-minute mark. And I'm like <laughs> uh, 48 minutes to go and and I'll feel like I weeded out like 10 minutes of material, but was really only like two minutes. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, when am I going to finish editing this thing?
1: Yeah, I could tell you that when I do um, when when I edit and it shows me how long the clip is. Right. I say, OK, say the clip is, you know, 15 minutes. And I'll go 30 minutes editing it. I'm like, come on, please go down at least like five minutes. So I only have like 10 minutes left instead of 15. And I'll drop to like yeah. 13 minutes. I'm like,
0: damn it. I only edited out
1: two minutes and 30 minutes.
0: God. It's because visually a minute on the screen looks so large. It expands. It's like a, a yeah. third of your monitor, but it's, it's actually, you know, it's only 60 seconds. You feel like you called out all this stuff and it's like a nightmare. Like it barely budged or whatever.
1: Yeah. it's, it's. It- <laughs> the editing nightmare that's i i love the final
0: product of what i produce like sometimes i do i'm really hard on myself like i'll listen back to an episode through earphones as soon as i'm done to make sure it sounds all right and i'll hear maybe like a breath here or this and that and i'm like oh, you know? But I'm like, come on, you're being too much of a perfectionist. But I find if I let it sit and I go back to it, like I'll listen to older episodes I did, and I, I listen to them like a listener would, yeah. and I kind of enjoy them more. And I probably shouldn't be so tough on myself with like the breaths and stuff, because uh, I actually wrapped up this morning. last uh, Yesterday, after I got home from work, I started listening to, because uh, I've been watching the, the NBC series, Hannibal. So oh, I went I back. Show. So fucking good. And I, I'm swearing like a drunken sailor, man. <laughs> but you I, are. I, yeah, I, uh, so I listened to the entire Silence of the Lambs audiobook. I found it on YouTube. I start. If anyone's interested, I made a public playlist called Audiobooks on the Weekend Out YouTube channel. And I have Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising in there. And the books are like over 10 hours long. And I just finished listening this morning... And it was so riveting, but this guy was like, in between every sentence, he's like, he's <gasps> <laughs> super oh, exaggerated yeah. inhales. I think it really is like an Edgar Allan Poe, uh, the telltale heart thing. I was just focusing on it too much and getting obsessed, you know what I mean? But other people probably aren't as hard on the material as you are yourself as the creator, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I I always feel like I can do do it better. Um, and I remember doing C-Web Sunday School and... I would listen to it, and I was like, "I can't, I can't put that out. I got to re-record it." I, oh, and wow. I would, the whole th-
0: you would sometimes the scrap whole the whole thing, thing.
1: I would scrap the whole thing and re-record. Like I remember the episode I did on Mormonism. I think it was like a. F- I remember f- that. I think it was like a fifty-minute episode.
0: I think I told you how much I liked that one. I said I was going to save it because it was so informative or whatever.
1: Yeah, that that one was a long episode. I I probably recorded it three different times.
0: Gee, now. What was it that made you want to re-record it? Uh, was it like breaths? Was it like did you trip over your tongue, or did the just the final sound quality sound off, or something?
1: The, now the the sound quality was was on point because I always strove to have strive strove strive.
0: Ah, uh, we're drunk.
1: Tomato tomato whatever. Ah <laughs> uh, uh, to have good sounding qual uh, audio. Um, because I there are so many podcasts I would love to listen to, but the audio sounded like shit. I'm like, I can't listen to your podcast; it gives me a headache. But I love what you're saying, that I would just oh, yeah, completely it's coming through an old transistor radio. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on, now just invest in just a decent mic. And and uh, for um, all you listeners out there, make sure you position the mic in the right way. So you I just going through <laughs> the, the right about direction. <laughs> After
0: three years, <laughs> I finally. Stumbled upon a a stupid little cartoon from the manufacturer of a Yeti, a a do and don't, just a two-picture cartoon. One, the Yeti is holding the mic in the position that I've been holding in for the last three years, and in huge letters it says, don't. Don't. Yeah, after three years, I learned that you're supposed to position it. Yeti says, don't. Don't. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and I remember this podcast
1: in particular, I was I was rushing to record it because I put myself on this crazy schedule. I had to release an episode every two weeks. Jesus. Um and, and What and am I, I saying like,
0: Jesus for? I do one every week. automatically I, I was automatically you see was taken aback by that. And I'm like, I do one every week.
1: Oh, you don't do the re well the research I had to do
0: on it. The the library and, is in my and, head, Clarice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't need your petty research. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, so it's, so the, the the amount of research I had to do, uh, and I would rec- I would like rush to record it. I would record it all really quick, and it just it just I just didn't like how it sounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, since it was so long, I'd have to do it. Um, I would try to do it all at once and try to speak for an hour at at once. Uh. Uh, my throat would get all scratchy and dry, and I just didn't sound. And pretty soon, I was just like. And then Joseph Smith found the golden plates, and voila, Jesus came to America. I was like, <laughs> that, oh, okay.
0: That happened to me with the audiobook, which is funny because some of my episodes are over an hour long, and the audiobook was only twenty-four minutes. Well, now, Luke, who's bragging? But uh, but uh, but the funny thing is, you know, on, on my. Um, podcasts, I usually talk in kind of a laid-back manner. Sometimes it's semi-scripted, sometimes it's not scripted at all. But I found with the audiobook, I wanted to get every word perfect, Mm -hmm. so I, like, really enunciated and rounded off all my words and everything. And by the time I got, like, 19 minutes in, I could feel my throat tightening up. It actually reminded me of when a I'd practice with my band and you're like the guys just always used to love turning like the half stacks up to 10 and like my PA system couldn't like keep up with it. And I'm like, you know, my voice is going on me halfway through practice. It kind of reminded me of that, but that reminds me of you have a background also with recording and with you, I believe it was rap and stuff like that. Whereas I, you know, I was singing with like a kind of alternative metal rock, type of band or whatever yeah and uh but it's funny as the singer when we went to this st- into the studio to do demos and stuff i was kind of like yeah i just propped me up in front of the mic when it's time <laughs> you know so i didn't know that much about how to work a board or the ins and outs of recording yep. uh but i always got the f- the feeling that you were a lot more savvy with that stuff and i think it shows through in your show not only is the content um meaningful and and well researched but i've always been a little envious of the way uh, of the sound quality of your show and of the way you're able the way you're able to mm-hmm. kind of put like these kind of cool sounding beats in there and things like that and, and it just sounds really professional and polished I can tell that you know your way around when it comes to uh, recording so did some of your background as like a recording artist or s- someone who did rap and stuff like that help out with the podcasting
1: yeah I'd hesitate to call myself a recording artist <laughs> uh, um, but I think he- here's, here's what I think it is um, I- I'm good at learning new things quickly right mm-hmm. and, and i'm the type of person is like if i if i want to learn something new i have to figure it out to its fullest extent or i cannot let it go i come obsessed with it wow right and as soon as i figure like if i'm trying to work on something and i'm trying to figure out a, a solution to a problem it, it could mean nothing to nobody but it's important to me like, mm-hmm. I have to figure it out. I become obsessive. My wife is like, what are you still doing that for? I'm like, I got to figure it out. I
0: don't know what's wrong. Uh, and, I like and, that with and, video games, but that doesn't get you anywhere in life. Exactly, so. yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: but but I become obsessive. I have one more it. bonus to unlock. I'm not leaving this room until I do. <laughs> Candy Crush is killing me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I I I become obsessive, obsessive with it, and, and I'm good at, uh, like, just reading about it once and then picking it up and understanding it. Uh, And then when I do that, I can apply it to what I do. And and I know what I like to hear. And what I like to hear is high quality stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I can at least meet my standards, I know I'm going to exceed other people's standards. Um, And that's what I strive for.
0: That's what I try to do within limits. Maybe it's a matter of dedication. Like I haven't done, I know other people who've done the closet thing where you turn your closet, like you do, you turn your closet into a mini recording studio, because is that you, you're knocking on the closet?
1: Oh okay. no, you're a, you're in
0: a hotel. Room. I'm in a hotel it's I'm, in Miami. In my, I made the Miami. Dexter joke earlier. Listen,
1: I'm, I've been in Miami almost three days. Zero pitbull sightings.
0: Zero pitbulls. Yeah, pitbull. You know pitbull? Oh, the singer, the rapper, yeah. the, Mr. Three Hundred Five Worldwide. I'm so Pitbull white fatty. when it comes to rap. I of this, this he's like... not
1: technically he's not rap, so that's not insult rap with calling Pitbull rap.
0: <laughs> the like the two like if you look at my It used to be my iPod, now my iPhone and my yeah. iPad. If you look at my music collection, it's so eclectic, it's crazy. It ranges from like classical and early music to like death metal and everything in between, except Country, with the exception of Johnny Cash, I like Johnny Cash because he's kind of a badass, and uh, and I, I don't like rap, with the exceptions of like I used to listen to some Snoop Dogg way back when I was coming up. Uh, this this is kind of showing my age in a way. Run DMC and LL Cool J, I thought were pretty oh. cool, and uh, when he's Cypress Hill, Cypress oh, Hill is yes. good, and House of Pain was all right.
1: Yeah, yeah. they had some good stuff. White Boys. Yeah, Beastie Boys. They have an awesome. Beastie Boys
0: actually are awesome. Beastie Boys are awesome. And I felt like they were a band that got better the longer they were around, which is pretty rare. Because in the beginning, it was kind of like the stuff was kind of on the nose and obvious. It was kind of like in your face. And and I think it's
1: kind of like how early early hip hop is in general, like with the Run DMCs, the Grandmaster Flash. Um, I think a, a group that was ahead of its time was within that era was De La Soul. Um, oh yeah, they 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 were almost. I think now this is up for debate, but it's pretty well established. The golden age of hip hop was uh, the early to mid '90s. Um, that's when we ha- when you have some of the best artists. Creating music, um, that was the the, the biggies, the well, Tupac's.
0: Tupac, yeah. Right. I, mean, the ice I was cubes. I was a little thing mm. when uh, when Run DMC and LL Cool J were big, but I can remember dragging around uh, like a boombox playing uh, "Walk This Way" by uh, Run DMC. Yeah, uh, That was a fascinating see, anecdote, right? But <laughs> but that's like that's
1: that was like formulaic rap, right? Mm-hmm. It it was almost like the 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 it was like you're just rhyming words um and when you got into the 90s uh there there was almost like a a a renaissance in rap where where they were they were rapping about a message uh tupac he he's my favorite artist uh of all time and i think because his really early stuff was so politically charged um that It's almost sad in a way that you can listen from 1992 and hear what he was talking about. Oh, and it still applies.
0: With the police. Yeah, and it still
1: applies to 2015. Um, It's almost sad that 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 holds true through that many years. I know a fact Uh,
0: about Tupac that most people don't know.
1: Okay, maybe I might know it. You
0: tell me. He was in a movie with Janet Jackson. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, obviously i'm kidding that's my only tupac fact that's all i and he uh, used to wear a, a backwards do-rag or something right
1: the, well i hear i'll give you a fact his uh his real name is Lashawn parish crooks it's not tupac shakur i did not know
0: was, now did he is tupac shakur like a muslim name or what is that
1: uh it's a it's an african name his mom okay. uh, afini shakur was uh heavy into the black power movement um, All right. And she actually had him while she was in prison because of she was uh, during some protest. Um, and uh, she, so that was almost like their political uh, and anti- revolutionary names. Wow. So he adopted that name. Um, I think it, it's Swahili for like, I think it's Swahili for like warrior. Uh, it's a Swahili name um, that he adopted. But yeah, LaShawn Parrish Crooks is his real name.
0: Now, it's really interesting, because, I mean, on a serious note, the feeling I always got when I, like, if I saw interviews with Tupac Shakur, things like that, even if I saw him acting or something, like, aside from his music, seemed like a really intelligent, just, like, good-natured, good-hearted, reflective, contemplative guy, but now, what happened? Did he have trouble just getting away from, like, the violent culture he came up in, because... I, I don't know exactly how he died, but he died in like a gang related shooting. Or
1: yeah, like. he, he wasn't, um, so his, his story is, is he has a, uh, uh, a uh, performance art background. Um, oh, wow. okay. yeah, he, he's originally from the, the Baltimore DC area. Uh, he went to this, uh, this, this Baltimore, uh, theater of art school, um, uh, for, for young kids who, who were interested in that. And then they moved out to, uh, california when he was uh, a teenager um and uh, out in oakland california and that's where he kind of establishes his, his hip-hop roots his first gig was a backup dancer for the group digital underground
0: oh i remember them Is yeah that the uh the I humpty large like yeah humpty hump hump, hump Dibbs, yeah I yeah. The hump, yeah. He, he,
1: yeah he was a backup dancer for for digital underground his Holy first crap. song that he performed on was called same song by digital underground and he was like 17 years old um and then he just got – his first two albums were, were really politically like motivated, like Tupacalypse Now. Um,
0: <laughs> I remember that title, actually.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's a brilliant album, um, and it speaks to the time uh, that he grew up in and, and the culture that he grew up in. But eventually he got involved with certain elements within that community uh, that led him to a more troubled, pa- uh, troubled path. Uh, oh. Where he he was uh, he was arrested a few times um, for alleged sexual assault. Uh, he was uh, shot um, five times in New York City. That's how his beef with Biggie came about because he thought oh, Biggie had yeah. something to do with it. Uh, he he went to uh, went to prison again, and when he came out of prison, he signed with Death Row Records and Suge Knight. Um, his first album out of prison was "Me Against the World," and then his second his second one after him was. Uh, All Eyes on Me, the first double-disc hip-hop album ever ever uh, created. And soon after that, he died in 1996, uh, September 13th, uh, because he was at a Mike Tyson fight. And after the Mike Tyson fight, he got into a fight with somebody who tried to snatch one of his chains. Right. And apparently, as the story goes, the person who did it was a crip. Oh, wow. Um, and and when he was stopped at a red light, they shot up his car shot him uh shot Suge Knight was shot uh they took him to the hospital and he died 7 days later uh in the hospital he never woke up from a coma um and he and he and he died 7 days later from his gunshot wounds
0: and there was some kind of some kind of Biggie connection or something or wasn't there
1: well well see the the when he was shot in New York he was going to a studio to record cuz him and Biggie used to be friends back in the day they were friends uh they actually recorded some songs together and the studio he was going to um Biggie was in uh him and Puff Daddy were in there and he got shot it was it was most likely an attempted robbery um but he blamed it on Biggie and from then on they had beef um because of that incident uh, but he survived the shot he got shot five times he survived
0: now but, i think i don't know if i heard you right but were, are you kind of uh were you kind of saying that he didn't really get caught up in the violence until he kind of made it a- as a a yeah. rapper yeah. That's crazy, man. That's yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, it wasn't until like you know going back to our very beginning of our conversation about time, right? He was 25 years old when he died. Right?
0: What? It, oh, and he's in my mind he seems so much older cuz I right. I was just a kid.
1: Right. He was 25 years old. And 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 to me, you know, today I just turned 34. I'm like 25, like what what would a 40-year-old Tupac look like today? You know, I, I was like and 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 how young he was, it was like the last two years of his life was when he just got caught up in that violence and, and led to his death. Um, was that last two years when he was like 23 years old? But in his music, you know, he, he was kind of prophesizing his own death in a way wow. where he's like, you know, what w- I live to see 23, you know, I'm going to die young, this, that, and the other. It's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. That kind uh, of
0: makes sense in a way. Cause, I mean, if, given his relative youth, you know, mm-hmm. even though he made it, and you would think that you know he made it to this kind of upper tier of success or whatever, and maybe he wouldn't be touched by um, the kind of gang violence or things like right. that. But he was so young; I mean, he was basically still a kid. So there yeah. might have been a lot of like bravado and stuff right. still left.
1: And he them. was he was small; he was like five foot six. Oh wow! Uh, and, you know, he was a little guy c- compared to contemporaries at the time. So, uh, and he got caught up. You know, I'm, I'm in in that lifestyle, especially after coming out of prison, his his last time um, with death row and death row was uh, Suge Knight. You know, he has ties to he's, oh, Suge Knight was he, a Crip.
0: He's, he's in the news just. I mean, yeah, he like ran over somebody. Yeah, that guy's always in the news for doing crazy yeah. shit. Yeah,
1: he, he so he was a Crip. Uh, so he had ties to different gang related things, and he just got caught up in that, which was unfortunate because he's. A brilliant artist but let me tie this back into to skepticism here okay because there is a connection um we, i was a 1996 so i was a sophomore in high school when tupac died oh wow and i was i was a guy who said he's not dead he faked his death
0: i remember that rumor
1: there was a rumor and um so 96 the internet was still kind of at its infancy but it was still there it wasn't at to where what it was. So it, in school, I would go to the library, and I would, we, me and my buddy, we would search everything on Tupac. We would, we would analyze. We like, oh, the autopsy photo came out. Like, oh, the op- they don't do autopsies like that. They're, they're you no, know, it's a fake body, <laughs> or uh, you know, like his his last album was um, Machiavelli, and it was called the Seven Day Theory, right. And he said, well, he died on, he got shot on September 6th, and he died on September 13th, that's seven days. And on the cover of the album, he's crucified like Jesus. Oh, Oh, he resurrected. coming back. Yeah, he resurrected like Jesus. And then we would would look for, like, um, uh, messages in his music, right? Even lyrics were like, you know, you you heard rumor, I died murdered in cold blood, homicide, but that was lie, that was fiction. Some bastard got the story twisted. And we're like, oh, he's telling us that he's faking his death. Ah. you know in his music and, and so i was a diehard believer right and my cousin who's a who's a who's a pastor ironically um uh, he, him and i always go back and he's he's two months older than me we'd always go back and forth about you know as like um, the seven day theory and we we postulated seven years so seven years from 96 was 2003 mm-hmm. so it's like rock tupac's coming back in 2003 right 2003 comes and goes tupac's not back and it's like a my
0: rapture cousin. he's sitting around waiting for it oh, yeah, didn't like, happen oh, redo the math oh,
1: hold on he's like he's like uh what, what was that guy um that doomsday pastor uh the old Miller? guy no the old guy uh that the apocalypse was coming in
0: 2012 oh, oh god what's his shit. name
1: he's he a radio host
0: Oh, oh it wasn't like Pat Robertson or, no. or Graham or something like that, was it? No, um,
1: it was a, it was an old dude, but he was like, but he, but uh, to me, it was like, okay, two thousand three coming up. Okay, he's coming back. Well, hold on, let me recalculate the math. Uh, yeah. Two thousand five. Anyways, it, it comes and goes. It's Ridiculous. And, and, and I made a bet with my aunt one time. My my cousin's mom. is was, was a running joke in my family about Tupac. And uh, she was like, if Tupac doesn't come back in 2003, are you going to believe in, I'll bet you, you believe in Jesus. Like, if he doesn't come back, you got to believe in Jesus. I'm like,
0: if he doesn't come back,
1: yeah, if he doesn't come back, you got to believe in Jesus. I'm like, okay, I'll make that bet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, I, I,
0: obviously at that time, I didn't believe in Jesus, but. um, No, it's funny about uh, you and me is it's where we have uh, so much in common. I think we probably have different musical tastes. But it seems like the person that we admire the most musically, they both had, like, death rumors. Like, you, it's Tupac. It sounds like you're saying Tupac is, like, your favorite artist of all time. Yep. And uh, for me, it's Jim Morrison of The Doors. Right. And he died when he was 27. And, which is, the thing, like, I still look at Jim Morrison as, like, uh, I say this figuratively, of course, but almost this, like demigod like this almost divine like figure this timeless figure right it's weird thinking that i'm older than him then when he, he died lived, yeah and uh he, he wasn't in the heroin but supposedly he i mean the mainstream story is he died of a heroin overdose in uh paris france um and, and basically just died in the bathtub um and he's buried in, in a in the poet's corner of it's like Pierre Lachaise cemetery or something in uh France. And uh people used to uh have all sorts of theories about how Jim Morrison faked his own death and uh in mm-hmm. the song LA Woman uh, it says Mr. Mojo Risen over and over again. Yeah. And, and uh, Mr. Mojo Risen is an anagram for Jim Morrison. And somehow people read that as like, Jim was going to create a new identity and he really wasn't dead and shit. <laughs> And I don't think I ever really believed in that. And maybe in a sick, selfish way, I didn't want to believe in it because the yeah. story was more romantic or poignant that this poetic figure died young or something. You know, I, I would have preferred him alive, but I, I don't think I bought that he faked his own death or anything. Um, I was almost so devastated
1: that I wanted to believe it. You know, I wanted to believe that he would, he would make more music and he was such a pro- prolific artist that he recorded so much music that they still release yeah, songs that he recorded. Yeah. Right. But, but they're new, it's new content. Right. Um, and, and, uh, just recently his mom is in charge of his his estate oh yeah um, that she she brought on uh, this recor- this um production company that specializes in remastering um un- previously unreleased music and they're going to redo all his previously unreleased music and put it back out because it actually re- they they reached the end of what was would be new um because uh, over the years they've released so many albums on his unreleased music. And I, I remember consuming, like I would go to the swap meet in downtown San Diego mm-hmm. and there would be people singing CDs, right? Bootleg CDs. And like, oh, we got, we got Machiavelli 15, Machiavelli 9, Machiavelli 8, where there's, there's <laughs> all un, unreleased stuff, right? Jesus. I still, I still, it's the only music fi- files that I carry with me through all my computer oh, migrations. Oh, so
0: it, 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 they weren't BS and they had real No, stuff. no, they were
1: real. They were like demo reels. They were like, the quality was so sh- crappy so shitty on him right but you you can just tell cuz it, it wasn't his fi- final polished stuff that they w- they would that produce that is
0: crazy release. so it was actually studio stuff that w- it was kind of during the evolution of the album or whatever right yeah
1: it was like tracks he didn't he didn't put in or they didn't do the final production on or you know like you know they do fifteen twelve 12 to 15 tracks on an album where you know he would record 20 25 songs And it would just be like a kind of like a basic beat that it wouldn't be completely polished. It it wouldn't have. And and in some of his his videos, he was like, he, he was so like he would record so much. He was like, look, you come in here, you spit your verse, you let the producers put you know they put all the polish on it. And if you're not if you don't have your verse ready. Because he would record with the Outlaws. That was like his little group he made. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, if you don't have your verse ready, you're not getting on this track. And he would just, you know, he'd spit his verse in one take, and then the other guys would spit theirs, and, and then that was it, and he would do another song. And then wow. the producers would come in, you know, the production guys who know how to do music would put everything together. Um, and, he, and he would record so much crap. And they would have these bootleg DV- CDs, and I would just consume them, because I didn't want it to end. Um, knowing that he's dead... And can't record anymore. I didn't want it to end.
0: Well, actually, I feel that way about uh, sometimes. I mean, it, it hit me. I don't know if it hit me super hard because I was probably like a self-absorbed, <laughs> jaded kid or whatever. But I remember when Kurt Cobain died, and because I, I like you know metal and rock and stuff like that. And people will probably hate me for this because Dave Grohl is like a modern uh, music icon. But whenever I hear the Foo Fighters, I'm like, ah. It's not Nirvana, man. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Ah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It just sounds so polished and mainstream. What I loved about Nirvana, it was almost chilling how raw and visceral the music was. And you could almost hear like the, the pain, the angst, and the borderline insanity in like mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain's voice. Now, do you just listen to rap or do you like heavy stuff? And or what other, do you like other types of music?
1: yeah i like uh so primarily I grew up on west coast gangster rap a a, a white kid from the outskirts of san diego uh, <laughs> I, I was that guy who had two twelve inch subwoofers who would bump the, the gangster of gangsterous rap um It wasn't until I joined the army and met different people outside of my circle that i was uh got into different music um so I got into some uh, heavy metal, uh, some alternative stuff. Um, uh, I, I I I like the the mid '90s alternative stuff, like the the early Chili Pepper stuff. Um, yeah, like Soundgarden and Soundgarden. Stuff. Yeah, bef- Yep. Um, not a huge fan of Pumpkins. I re- I like some of their songs, but I, uh, Billy Corgan, uh, I. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of his style.
0: Well, my, and that's funny is my bassist always used to say that sound like he was trying to sing out of his range. Like his voice was too whiny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you're not into it, it it, it can grain on you. <laughs> you
1: know, I'm a, I'm a Metallica fan. Yeah. I'm an Aussie fan. Um, so I, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. I love that song. I love, um, Ro, Rob, love Rob zombie, you know, white zombie. Yeah. I love, ah, oh, Rob zombie's awesome. That's kind of what, I don't know you. I think you heard my music. I sent the like the four demo tracks. Yeah, you sent, me, yeah, to you sent me some stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like corn meets Rob Zombie meets The Doors, maybe it's <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. I love Rob Zombie. Yeah, if White I had Zombie. to pick, pick, uh, uh, I, I don't know if you call them
1: metal. I call them hard rock. I don't like like the 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 black metal, the screaming. I I don't like that crap i like mm-hmm. the stuff where there's actually some melody
0: and melody some and harmonization shit. going yeah.
1: on it's like where it's music not just i got a sweet guitar riff and a drum line and i'm just screaming into the microphone
0: the, the uh, hardest band i probably listened to is there's a band called morbid angel that oh. someone turned me on to a long time ago And I think they were influenced by classical music. So even though it's like frantic and frenetic, you can kind of hear some like complex stuff in there. And they sing about like Lovecraftian abominations and the Necronomicon and stuff. After that, it's probably uh, the hardest thing I listen to is like Slayer. And then um, I like mostly a lot of hard alternative stuff.